headlines of the day from CMR. And brought to you exclusively on KISS FM by J. Michael, fashion for everyone. Good morning, Sandy. Hi, morning, <clears throat> Blake and Aaron. How are you guys doing? Yes. Good. I'm just catching up on your news. Oh, my please. gosh. 4.30 in the morning, a, a biker, a bicyclist got hit and, re- and the guy ran off. Yeah, so much news yesterday. You know, some days are like that. So let's yeah. run through them really quick. Let's go. Um, probably the biggest story of the day um, was that Mr. McKeever Bush, yeah. former Speaker of the House and MP West, um, West Bay West, has been arrested and charged <clears throat> with indecent assault and common assault. Wow. And so on he, International mm. Women's Week and International I, Women's I Day. <clears throat> the, the timing is kind of perfect in a way. So what's going to um, happen now? What will happen now? Mm-hmm. Well, he'll, I don't know if he'll plead guilty, but it's a, it's summary court, so he can remain in summary court like the last time, which I suspect that he will. Is so he still he on probation from the last offense, though? That's the million-dollar question, and it's possible. Mm. Um, I was trying to figure out the timing exactly, so I think the court is going to have to pull that up to verify, but I suspect that he still was. Mm. Which, yes. would, which would mean jail time then, likely. It, it should, yeah. yeah. In very exceptional circumstances, would they not give someone jail time who breached an existing order and for mm. similar offenses once again? Wow. Or, or even just, yeah, a second and third offense. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, as soon as we get confirmation of those, um, for sure. But he has to first be found guilty of this for that to then become, become live. Um, the murder trial of Javon Dixon, also Javon, also ended in a hung jury yesterday. So mm-hmm. while McKeever was next door, we were in the other courtroom trying to see what this jury was going to do. And they just could not come to any sort of a decision. So um, hung jury, they start all over is basically how it Retrial, works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. Well, fun. And then what's the latest on this uh, hit and run around 4.30 that someone chased so, down the person that um, rang and they got the driver's license? Yeah, so we had we had several accidents overnight. One on Crew Road by Amelia's Kitchen, which is next to the airport. That looks like a flip. How would you flip um, your car? You'd have to be going really fast to do something like pretty that. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so slow And down. then oh. the other one is um, is this hit and run. <clears throat> I don't know if they eventually found the person or what happened, but yes, there is this um, allegation that, that someone hit and took off. So we're waiting on the police to perhaps update that story for us. Hmm. Crazy wow. stuff. Yeah, those are, some, some days are really popping when it comes to news. And I must say yesterday kept us on our feet. There was a big fentanyl bus, by the way. Um, we're posting That's that story up here in a couple of minutes. We were just verifying hmm. a few aspects of that story. Here in Cana. Over, yeah. Over 200 tablets of fentanyl. Oh which my is gosh. enough to kill I mean, a lot of people. I was going to oh say, it's the minuscule amount of fentanyl yeah. could kill someone. And on the people tip need of to a, know that. Parents need to a, tell their kids that. On the yes. tip of a pen. It's, it's Definitely. And, you know, we've had several fatal overdoses in the last um, six months to a year. Tough, and um, it's it's nothing to mess around with because I suspect that some of those have been laced with Sandy, fentanyl. Uh, happy International Women's Day. Yes, thank you. Same to you, Aaron, all the Thanks. women out there. Yep, yep. And we'll catch your show right now on Bobo 89.1 FM. And we'll see you Beautiful. tomorrow on KISS for the Thursday headlines. All right. Sounds All great. Right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too. Again, our segment brought to you. All right, folks. Busy morning. Let me just grab my links so we can get started here, honey chill. Okay. Hold on one second. There's the YouTube link. Now I need the Facebook link. All right. Let's get it. <laughs> 
Bigger, bigger, better, better, bolder, bolder. The cold hard truth is taking talk to the next level. Right here on Bobo 89.1 FM, Cayman's Community Radio. We are still spilling the tea and committed to being part of the change that Cayman so desperately needs. Join Sandy Hill weekdays from 7.30 a.m. for Premier Access, Cayman Voices, Truthful Thursdays, and much more. Cayman's number one talk show is now bigger, bigger, better, better, bolder, bolder, and more than talk. Getting results with hot topics, consumer reports, court exposés, and more. I've come to set the record straight. I've come to shine the light on you Let me introduce myself I am the cold heart truth Now, from the CMR studio in Grand Cayman Live, direct It's the cold hard truth Now, now Join the conversation on 345-936 2626. That number again is 345 936 2626. Good morning, beautiful people. Happy Wednesday. Oh my gosh, what can I tell you? Uh, Yesterday was a super busy news day. Some days are like that. Some days are a little bit slower with news and other days it's like one story after the next. And it just so happened, folks, that yesterday was one of those days. So I do have a guest who's going to be joining us in studio. We've actually got multiple guests this morning. The first one that is going to come up um, is going to give us a brief update on where we are with the Russia situation, Russia and Ukraine. It's been a year now. So I figured um, why not, you know, get a quick little update. Um, mm-hmm. Yep, so um, we're going to, you know, unpack some of that. And then our second guest who will be joining us this morning is going to be providing, um, you know, I mean, this woman is so incredibly brave, but essentially she is a uh, rape victim, a survivor of sexual assault. And so she's going to be joining us this morning as well. So big shout out to the good folks over at Burger King. They sponsor a show now every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And um, so, you know, pay them a little visit if you can. We appreciate their sponsorship. Makes all of this possible. Um, So guess what? Yesterday, let, let's let's dig into a little bit of news before a guest comes on the program. Yesterday morning, um, Honorable, well, he's not, no longer Honorable, that's for sure. Ooh, disgraced. Uh, Mr. McKeever Bush. Um, unfortunately, somebody said I just went robotic on radio. I'll let Chuck know. Like, I don't really know what's causing that, but I know for sure it's not on my end, whatever that is. I mean, I know. Um, I'll have them look into it because I feel like this is a recurring problem that... Something's going on over there. Um, yep. Somebody says Bobo has gone robotico. 
Ooh, honey chill. Um, yes. So I, um, mm -hmm. so I want to jump into a few things. So yesterday morning, I told you guys, I was trying to get to court a little bit early so that we could see, um, what exactly the jury was going to do in the Javon Dixon murder trial. And it turns out that they were unable to come to any sort of a um, conclusion. They tried and they tried and they were out since Friday. And they even the judge even said to them, you can consider the lesser offense of uh, manslaughter. And you know what? I think th this is what it was. Say, say, for example, we don't know what the numbers are. The whole jury process, <laughs> somebody says the radio sounds like it got the flu. <laughs> The whole jury process in the Cayman Islands is shrouded in mystery, right? I think that's why a lot of you don't even want to serve jury duty because you're like, uh-uh, can't be bothered. You see, I'm one of those people who I'm always, I've always wondered, why have I not been called to jury duty? I would have loved to have served as a juror. I'm like, call me. I'm your friend because I'm going to pay attention Thanks, Chuck. I understand the radio is now fixed. I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to focus on the evidence before me. Like I am a very, you know, astute person. I'm going to be picking stuff apart, but I never got called. And I mean, I even registered to vote since I returned to Cayman because I am like, listen, I, I'm all about, you know, your civic duty. Um, I think in the U.S. it's just much more acceptable for you to um, serve for jury duty. That, that, that's your responsibility. You're a citizen, you're a resident. That's exactly what you do, right? Well, in Cayman, most of you um, are always trying to get out of jury duty. And I think that that's quite unfortunate. So, you know, they've been considering opening jury duty to people who have permanent residency, who haven't yet acquired their status. I think that maybe that's not a bad idea. Um, you know, I don't necessarily have an issue with that, but this particular jury, they couldn't, they couldn't decide. And, you know, there's in the U S there was this murder case the other day, this guy, what was his name? Murdoch or something. He killed, um, he's now convicted of killing his wife and his son. After that, the jurors gave their, why they convicted him, what happened in the deliberation room. Like they can talk a lot. There's a lot of transparency after the fact about what happens. Here in the Cayman Islands, the jurors are, especially in this case, they're told <clears throat> you cannot discuss this case with anyone, even now that you're done serving your jury time. You can't talk about it. You can't talk about what happened in the jury room. Like it's all this mystery surrounding it and I'm not really sure why, right? I think we need to demystify it, educate people about the entire jury system and how it works and you know, and you guys need to do your civic duty. You need to get in there. Now, I get that. I get it that we're a small community. And sometimes I suspect that people might feel a little bit intimidated. And I think there are ways to, uh, even this jury tried to eliminate the contact because uh, Javon's family is very, very supportive of him. So every single day of that trial, they were there um, for jury duty. 
And I mean, for Georgia, they were there, there for the trial. And sometimes that actually can weigh on the psyche of um, the, the jurors. But guess what? The police were showing up too every single day after they gave their evidence. All four or five detectives were sitting there in court because I think that in their minds, they needed to offset what they perceived to be heavy support on his side for the family and what that might have been saying to um, the jurors. Now, his family members, the family member of the deceased, he only had one or two, um, his mom, and I don't know if that's her sister, who that was, but, you know, they started to show up as well. And they came to, um, you know, they, they came to the, the trial. And it, it was such a stark situation to watch. And this is where, listen, people can destroy their own lives and they can certainly destroy the lives of their family members and other people when they get in situations like this. Because here you have two Caymanian families, the mother and I think it's her sister of the deceased, literally with their backs turned. They're sitting in, it's just a very small gallery. They're sitting there with their backs turned. You watch the body language. They're sitting there with their backs turned to um, the rest of the people who are there in support of this young man. Space between them kind of thing. It, it is so sad. I mean, it really, I looked at it and I thought to myself, wow, this is... This is who we don't want to be. We don't want to be sitting in a jury um, gallery in a courtroom, courtroom gallery, you know, with our backs turned to each other because one young Caymanian is being accused of taking the life of another young Caymanian. I think what also made this particularly complex, probably in the minds of, and I don't know how much the jurors know, because again, you know, they don't talk about it publicly or anything like that, because we know that the deceased had a reputation. Everybody will tell you in the streets, this kid... Not only was he not an angel, a lot of people say he was a devil. He was accused of some atrocious things. A lot of people believe that he himself has gotten away with murder. So there's not that many people who are feeling sympathetic for his loss of life, but the law is there not to work upon your sympathies, but to work upon the evidence that is presented. And so on another day, I don't think we have time today, I'm gonna unpack some of what the defense said and the prosecution said so that you can understand both cases I want us to um, be cautious, though, because, of course, this is coming up for retrial. So we don't want to do anything that's going to delay the process um, on this platform because you know what they're going to say, honey, chill. Oh, my gosh. CMR talked about it. Now we can't find a jury, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to tread very, very lightly. And I'm only going to share what transpired in court. I will not be given my opinion one way or the other on the evidence at this particular stage. Caller, buenos dias. How are you? Buenos dias. <clears throat> Not bad. Um, so you believe that non-Caymanians should be jurors? Well, you know what, Denny? Given the, um, I mean, if you've ever sat, have you ever been a juror, by the way? And maybe they have you and I in a blacklist. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't understand. Again, it's wrote in such secrecy that I don't even know how they pick people. Because now I believe, according to the law, I'm not eligible for jury duty because I work in media. And there's a lot of categories of people who are exempted from jury duty just because of their profession. And I think that maybe that has to change as well. And they should probably look closely at those professions because just because I'm in media, that doesn't mean that I can't be impartial. What, is, what does that mean? You know what I'm saying? I obviously couldn't cover right. that particular case, um, but you know, I can be impartial. Right. Right. So I, I think that some of the rules around it um, need to be adjusted.
But the jury pool, because the Caymanian pool is very, very uh, slim. So I think that if we have to consider opening it up to people who have PR but are on their way to, to status, like maybe they've already submitted their application and there's no apparent reason why they wouldn't get it. I mean, I don't know if we can really do that, but I'm just saying no, that I think the I, pool I, is, I, I think the pool I is too small. The pool is too small, Denny. Well, let's get the, let's get people. Or to, here's uh, another let, alternative. Wait, wait, one second, one second, second. Let's work on getting people to understand why it's beneficial. No, but off. it's it's not just about that. A lot of times, Cayman is so small, everybody goes in there, oh, I know that person. And the judge has to say, well, how well do you know the person? I remember with one of my trials, um, this young lady stood up and says, yeah, I know, I know, I know Sandy. And the judge says, yeah, everybody knows Sandy. The question is, how well do you know her? Are the two of you hanging out every week? Are you breaking bread? And to be honest, this is a person that I am closer with her sister mm -hmm. And I know her like to say, hi, how you doing? If I see her, sometimes I don't even see this one for a year. So I thought it interesting that she was trying to say, oh, you can't pick me because I know who Sandy Hill is. And the judge was like, honestly, everybody knows who this woman is. So we gotta be, we gotta be broader. And well, well, those, those, those kind of responses are clearly people who are looking for an to excuse. get out of their responsibility. Yeah. yeah so what a lot of need, times that's what happening. What we need is education for people to understand why the system is important. Yeah. But remember now, not only that, but I mean, you go through a jury pool so quickly because the defense and the prosecution for absolutely no reason or any reason at all can say, we don't, we object. We don't want that jury. I, I must tell you that I'm not impressed with a lot of lawyers. <laughs> I must tell you that. <sighs> but just to in rebuttal Here, here's to your, Catherine. your statement. Catherine says, I've been in Cayman 41 years. I've never been called for jury duty. Catherine, question for you. Out of the 41 years, were you a registered voter that entire time, which means that you would have been in the pool of available individuals? You see, you also have to be a registered voter. So for young people who don't even register to vote, they will never be called for jury duty. And I think that gap for sure has to be closed. Get a list of all Caymanians, registered voters or not, and put them in the jury pool. Why are we talking about if you're not a registered voter? Because there's some people who will never register to vote for the very same reason that they don't want to be called up for jury duty. So that shouldn't be the list that the um, authorities are pulling from. I think that they need to pull from a broader list. So that's the only reason why I was suggesting you know, PR. Now, I don't know... Um, I think this could be something for the MPs. It might be in the judicature law. And so the MPs themselves might have to change this in order to make it, um, you know, what the legal position is. But I think they need to do it. And they, they should do it very, very quickly. Uh, to make it broader? Yes. To no, make it broader I, I, in the sense of at least non-voters no. who are Caymanians. But yeah, non-voters who are Caymanians, yes. But not non-Caymanians. You can't have non-Caymanians um, making uh, decisions in court cases. Tracy says, not to mention that many folks are related on island. So hard to be non-biased, not to mention it's a small island and people talk and form opinions even without knowing them. So um, Catherine but says she's had her status. Listen. Hold on now. Catherine has had status since 1992. How many years is that? 1992 minus 2023. 
That is 31 years. And in 31 years, she has never been called for jury duty. That's that's, that's incredible. That, that, that's that, absolutely incredible. That is beyond incredible. That is egregious. Likewise, yeah. I have been back since 90. I came back in 96 and I got registered to vote right away because I think right after that, there was a general election. I was ready and I was I voted and blah, blah, blah. And I've never been called. So now that now that I can't be called, I mean, it's like, why didn't y'all call me before? From the from the day I turned 18, my mother and my grandmother said, come, let's go. (laughs) And I was registered. And and but I mean, it's not just a small island. Listen, if you think we have those issues, every country in the world has those issues. We're not, we're not special. We're people just like them, right? Let me, let me see. I'm trying to see where, okay, here are the exemptions. Um, I'm going to go through the exemptions. Like I said, we are waiting on a guess, but um, you know, uh, someone says um, in the States, they use anyone who has a Florida driver's license and resident. So it doesn't discourage people from registering to vote. So you You can also walk across the border at Texas in Texas. You have to be a U.S. citizen. Which one is it? Oh, you don't have to be registered to vote. Oh, I see. So, but you can get a driver's license and be a resident without being a U.S. citizen. So I'm a little bit confused by that last part. Um, yeah, that, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think you. Mm, so um, sure. this person I'm says absolutely some people. Sure about Florida. Some people have been called multiple times while others have never been called. You see. This is where I think now the court's office and whatever process they they however they choose people, um, this needs to be demystified because this makes no sense. If you've been called yeah. multiple times to jury duty and yet um, someone like Catherine has been registered to vote for 31 years and has never been called, clearly the system, there's something wrong. <laughs> I mean, I... Yes, I agree there's something wrong. Um, someone says that they need to increase the age and stop excluding senior citizens. The amount of seniors I know that have nothing wrong with their head that would be perfect, including myself and my husband. And I've lived in Cayman for 40 odd years and I've never been called for jury duty. You see what I'm saying? How yeah. How is that possible? And in fact, you know, again, Caymanians, as well as people who required status, you have a responsibility to your own country to serve in some capacity. Right. We, yeah. We're not asking y'all for much. <laughs> this is one of the things you could do. So here's the composition of a jury. So I'm going to go through this list, Danny, if you want to um, hang up and listen of who is not eligible to serve. A lot of y'all might not know this. So this might be a little education here this morning. Danny, you want to hang up? Or you yeah. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to listen to you. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's get it. Let me pull this up on screen so that everyone um, can see this list. So we have, hold on, hold on. The governor, of course, cannot serve. That makes sense. Um, We have, let's see here. Can you all see that? Yes. We have the deputy governor. So France Manderson can never serve. Member of the Cayman Islands Parliament. Again, that one is logical. We can understand MPs can't serve. A judge or magistrate, fair enough, that's okay. This is, again, um, composition of jurors, uh, section eight of the ju- judicature law is what it's called. Ju- um, judicature. Judicature. 
<laughs> yeah. The spouse, uh, civil partner, offspring, stepchild, or legally adopted child of a person specified in paragraph A, B, C, or D. So hold on a second. You see what I'm telling you now? This is where this doesn't make any sense. So the spouse, civil partner, offspring, stepchild, or legally adopted child of the governor, the deputy governor, and MPs, or judge or magistrate, why? So France Manderson's children can never serve. Well, the governor, we obviously, he doesn't have human status. So let's not even think about him, right? But all MPs, all of their children, their spouses, stepchildren, legally adopted children, they can't serve. That to me, it's too broad. Um, the child of a judge or magistrate. Mm, okay. I mean, I, I would say the child of that specific judge or magistrate, not just the judge magistrate kind of, you know, um, generally speaking. You mean the judge and uh, the judge of the particular case shouldn't be able to. Exactly. But the child of the, the child judge. Of... Yeah. The judge. Not a judge. Right. Um, a public officer employed in the cabinet office. So I'm trying to think how big cabinet office is. But yeah, that's maybe 10, 12, another, you know, whatever number of people. An attorney at law actively engaged in litigation practice. Maybe that's fair um, because that doesn't include corporate attorneys. But I've never seen an attorney called to jury duty at all. You know, so what? Well, that, that might be an economic decision. <laughs> But it shouldn't be a decision for them to, to make. Um, a person registered to practice medicine under the Health Practice Act. So imagine now, every single physician, and I don't know it, when they say to practice medicine, if that's just doctors, I'm hoping that doesn't include any other support staff because my God, um, again, pff, ridiculous. An officer of a court of competent jurisdiction who is an officer of a court of competent jurisdiction? Who would that be? That would be, um, that would be. Uh, All the court, court staff? Yeah, yeah. Jeez, I'm peace. Now we're into yeah. the hundreds that are a constable. So all police officers, a person appointed as a prison officer. So all prison officers. A person who's mentally disordered, okay, that we get as defined in the Mental Health Act. Any person who's been charged with an offense and is currently before the court, so the Cayman Islands, pending trial for that offense, okay. Any person who's been convicted before any court of the Cayman Islands for an offense or of an offense for which that person was sentenced to a term of imprisonment and who has not received a free pardon in respect to that offense. Folks, Convictions, that right there is 25% of the population. I hate to tell so, you. So what, so no consideration for rehabilitation. Well. Mm -hmm. Pretty soon you won't have any jurors at all. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, let, let me go. My first guess is here and um, right. it's... It's a very, very busy morning, folks, but I feel like we do have to return to this conversation. By the way, there is a situation 
that is popping off at the um, at the bus depot. And so I'm waiting on them to essentially tell me if they can um, if they can join in. I don't have any uh, videographers, anybody who can go on the scene, but they can easily join into the show and show us what's going on. So apparently um, there's a there's actually a strike out by the bus depot today. And um, if they want to call and tell us why they're striking and what's going on, then by all means, um, please do so. I'm just having a quick look because somebody just called me about this situation. Um, all right, so let's pull in our first guest. And uh, I'm told that traffic on West Bay Road this morning, folks, is horrendous. I think this might be in relation to the hit and run situation that occurred last night. I'm not sure if there are any fatalities out of that. Uh, this person says four police vehicles on the scene blocking off Queens Court. And that's where the incident happened. So I will put this up as a traffic mm -hmm. alert now. But I suspect that if police are still on the scene after this happened at four something in the morning, there was probably a fatality because normally they don't stay on the scene that long for a non-fatal accident. But let's go ahead and invite our first guest into the show this morning. We have professor and director of the USF Institute for mm. Russian, European, and Eurasian Studies. Um, I believe, yes, Dr. Golfo Alexpolis, and I probably butchered her name. Alexopolis. Hi, Sandy. Good morning, doctor. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm so good. First of all, thank you again for being on the program. Happy 2023. We've not seen you this year yeah. yet. Yeah. Thank and you for the invitation. You're always such a wealth of amazing information. I love having you on the show, but I don't like having you in the show under these circumstances. No, I know. Oh my gosh. The war is still yeah. going on over a year now. I know, Sandy. By the way, I love being on your show too. And thank you so much for the invitation. Um, yeah, we're all really surprised that it's a year into this horrible war and um, it's it's worse than we thought. So yeah, yeah, I, I think it took everybody by surprise really. Oh my gosh. what What is accounting for how long this war has been going on for? So I think that there are several reasons. Um, one is that... Uh, the Ukrainians put up a tremendous resistance. I don't think um, there were many observers who anticipated this kind of resistance from the Ukrainians. Mm. Um, and it was really across society. Um, it was the elites. It was Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, who stayed in the country and did not flee. It was ordinary civilians who were outraged by this invasion. I think that the Russians expected or the Kremlin expected that there would be collaborators, there would be people who would join along with the Russians and accept the uh, the invasion. And the, the resistance was just so um, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, that that I think that's what stopped um, the Russian advance. I think that Western support um, and the unified response of the West was also um, a factor. And I also think um, that the the Russian army didn't perform as well as many people expected them to. And so mm -hmm. um, 
things just got bogged down. They they have seized a lot of territory. I do think that's really important to underscore that, mm-hmm. you know, they have occupied almost 20% of Ukrainian territory. Wow. Um, but still, the Ukrainians are trying to push back. Yes. And um, when you talk about their the lack of support that the Russian government has gotten really from their own people, I mean, we've seen um, extremely wealthy people, non-wealthy people. In fact, there's been, I understand, a bit of a max, mass exodus. I don't know if that's the correct term, yeah. but yeah. of Russian men who were eligible for war, absconding and leaving the country so that they don't get caught up in this because they do not want to go and fight in Ukraine. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, the when the war broke out, there were protests in Russia, and then the government cracked down really heavily on the protesters. And mm-hmm. uh, there are th- thousands of people in jail right now for uh, tweeting, <laughs> you know, their opposition to the war, or mm-hmm. um, put, holding up a blank sign, or um, just any kind of opposition. The government's been really um, cracking down on. And if you if you call this a war as opposed to a special military operation, mm-hmm. you can be uh, subject to up to 15 years in prison. So the crackdown was immediate. So um, the only way for people to really express their dissent was in other ways by leaving the country. You know, many people mm-hmm. uh, fled the country, especially after the mobilization order. Um, So young men, um, actually up to like 50, uh, left the country uh, Mm -hmm. to avoid um, mobilization. So the the estimates are hard to come by, but um, I have seen anywhere between um, half a million to a million people that have left the country since the war started. That's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. And many of these are the best and, you know, the most educated. Um, people have left, um, some, you know, people in the tech sector, people um, in, you know, academics who can't speak their mind at universities. So, um, but it's really across the board. It's um, many of my friends have left, for example. Mm-hmm. Very sad. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the, what sort of damage are we looking at? I mean, I know it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard for us to even fathom exactly what has been done in the past year uh, to the people of Ukraine. But do we have any fix on the number of lives lost on the Ukrainian side? And I want to talk about the casualties on the Russian side as well, because although I think Russia has been downplaying it, there's good evidence to say that they've had really, really substantial losses. Right, right. No, that's absolutely right. So I have seen estimates um, between 100,000 and 200,000 casualties. So that would be uh, dead and wounded. Um, uh, The estimates are that there are more dead and wounded on the Ukrainian side than on the Russian side. Um, But the the numbers are still immense. I think the uh, Ukrainians have also been the victims of um, war crimes, as uh, Vice President uh, Harris noted recently um, at the Munich conference. uh, People have been talking about how, um, you know, how in Bucha and in Irpin and in many um, cities that were occupied by the Russians, but then liberated, uh, Mm -hmm. there's been um, massive evidence of atrocities, uh, the killing of civilians. So, um, 
Yeah, it's just it, it, it's just astounding. Um, Russians have also gone after, or I should say, the Kremlin. You know, because this is really Putin's regime has really gone after um, the electrical grid, the water supply, um, in order to make life in Ukraine untenable, and in order to um, provoke a uh, a refugee crisis in Europe. So anything mm -hmm. that will you know destabilize Europe or create problems in Europe, there. Um, they're happy to uh, uh, to do so. Um, these are some of the issues that we face. It's I, I think that we're going to be reckoning with this war for decades. Oh my God, that's unfathomable. Quite honestly, yeah. Yeah. this morning I see that there's news about um, some fierce uh, battling that's happening in. Is it is it back back Bakhmut? Bakhmut. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's interesting because. Uh, some military observers question the strategic importance of Bakhmut, and yet it's been this site of incredible fighting. Um, part of the reason, part of the explanation for that is that um, Putin is using proxies and professional military, um, these kind of military contractors a lot. Mm -hmm. And one of the most prominent military contractors is the Wagner Group, which um, uh, some of your listeners may heard of, may have heard of, and it's um, run by this friend of Putin's, Prigozhin. Um, so it's the Wagner Group mercenaries, and many of these mm -hmm. uh, individuals are prisoners who have just been used as cannon fodder, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so they've been thrown into the battle. And I think you know what I've heard from uh, military specialists is that this has been Wagner's way of demonstrating that they're important to the fight or that they can secure a victory. In the mm -hmm. meantime, the Ukrainians don't want to let Bakhmut fall because that would just symbolically just having a loss in the battlefield when they're mm -hmm. trying to get Western support and show that they're winning would not be good. But Bakhmut itself, you know, it's not like it's incredibly, um, uh, it's an incredibly critical location or anything like that or has any strategic importance necessarily. Right. So this, um, just pronounce it again, because W-A-G-N-E-R, but how is it pronounced? It's uh, the Wagner Group. Some people Va call Wagner. it the Wagner Group. But that's the know? Americanized version That's the of Americanized. <laughs> but I've actually heard the Americans, you know, in American media call it uh, the Wagner Group, because it's actually um, named after the uh, composer, Wagner. Um, oh, so the, the German okay. composer. So, yeah, I, I think Wagner is really probably the best way to say it. Yeah, and this is yeah. a private military company. Yes, exactly. That is um, giving support to the Russian regular forces. Exactly. And in fact, Putin is relying on a bunch of kind of non-official forces. So mm -hmm. uh, in addition to the Wagner group, there's the Chechen fighters under Chechen strongman Ramzan Kadyrov, and he has his own fighters in there to kind of show that he is, mm -hmm. you know, um, supporting the Russian cause and get, earning brownie points with Putin. Um, and then there are just these irregular, for various irregular forces uh, that Putin is relying upon. So in addition to the normal, you know, official army of the Russian Federation, there are these other fighting forces out there uh, that, that Putin's relying on. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So um, just to bring people up to par about this battle now that's, you know, this is what is happening uh, in real time 
for Bakhmut, um, the, the Ukrainians have reportedly inflicted massive losses on attacking forces in the city. Estimates are seven to one. So for me, I mean, you talked about the fact that this has gone on for so long because the Ukrainians have really put up quite a good defense and they fought beyond, I guess, what definitely Russia expected. Because remember when you first came on the program, we were saying how, um, you know, Putin believed that this was going to be an in and out kind of war. Like he was going to get in there, take over Ukraine, and that was going to be the end of it. And here we are a year later still saying that not only has that not happened, but yeah. even in the latest battles, um, their losses on the Russian side have been significant by potentially seven to one. How, yeah. how is Ukraine yeah. doing it? I mean, so part of the answer to that is um, who these forces are like. So mm-hmm. these are they're going into. So these, it's largely the private military contractors. It's largely Wagner. They're going into prisons. Um, they're trying to get, you know, sorry about my cat. Is, I don't know if you can hear my say, cat. Is that, is that your think, cat joining I the conversation? He wants, <laughs> he wants to get out. Um, yes. But uh, so it's, it's part of, um, part of the fact that these, um, these men are not trained and mm. they're not given adequate supplies and the Ukrainian forces for all of their, you know, challenges as well. They're better, better trained, and there there might be few of them, but they have superior supplies, and so um, that's why you see this incredible differential in the casualties. So mm-hmm. really, Putin, you know, he there's no concern for loss of life on the Russian side. They're just throwing bodies at the problem and trying to hold territory based on the number of bodies that they have uh, in the fight. And it's really mm-hmm. tragic. I mean, the the likelihood of dying as a as a prisoner, you know, somebody who's released from prison mm-hmm. and um, told to go fight and actually promised freedom if mm. they come home alive and are heroes in the battlefield and all this. Um, right. It's just wow. terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. And that explains some of the um, human atrocities. I think that people need to recognize exactly um, when, you know, when Russia is successful and they've captured areas and so on, you know, there's mass gang rapes. Um, there's a lot that has been happening. Let's put some of that in context before we take a few right. of the questions this morning. Right. Right. So the atrocities that we see in Ukraine are atrocities that we have seen um, in that area, that we saw in that area during the Second World War. So Mm -hmm. uh, the deportation of entire populations, you know, moving populations, they're um, taking children, Ukrainian children, and moving them into the interior of Russia and having them adopted by Russian families, even though they're not necessarily um, uh, orphans or anything. So that um, using children that way. And, and because the Russian, because the Kremlin viewed this as, because their imperialist war viewed Ukrainians as really Russians who uh, pretend not to be Russians and speak this dialect of Russian because Ukrainian isn't a real language and so on. They, they denied the essence of Ukrainian ethnicity. Um, And because of that, they have, uh, changed the history books. They have um, mm. replaced uh, Ukrainian language with Russian language. They have adopt, had Ukrainian children uh, be adopted by Russian families. I mean, it's it's this kind of 
a genocidal elimination of a culture. Um, wow. So there's that end, but there's also the the physical uh, acts of terror, you know, uh, mm -hmm. terrorizing communities by killing a certain segment in order to terrorize the rest. Um, mm. It's it's really it, it's um, so so to put the the violence in perspective, I think it's important to um, to stress that that Putin is a very violent leader and mm -hmm. he has deployed violence repeatedly. Um, he's mm -hmm. poisoned critics, he's jailed people, he's assassinated people. So um, this is part of his MO is, mm. is to terrorize um, people in order to ensure that they will comply with his wishes. Uh, so it's, I think, Another reason why he uses these private military contractors is, is that he can say he can get around the Geneva Conventions on the laws of war and say, well, my army is not doing that. I, I don't have anything to do with Wagner and, and so on. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's quite disturbing. Wow. So Russian forces are attacking uh, Bakhmut from three directions. The um, president of Ukraine has said that although the city is largely abandoned from a strategic perspective, they still, from a tactical perspective, they still consider uh, Bakhmut to be very, very important to his country because it essentially opens up, um, it'd be an open road is what he was quoted as saying, mm -hmm. to the Kremlin to capture other key cities. So right. um, it's important that they fight to keep it um, right. in, in Ukrainian control. Right, right. Mm. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've heard different things about that, but I I I, I think um, it's it, they're trying to hold the Donbass. They're trying to retake um, mm -hmm. territory lost in the Donbass. So yeah, yeah. Now um, the response from the rest of the world um, continues. Uh, there's still you know I guess sanctions in place. Have there any Have there been any increased pressure? on Russia, any additional sanctions in, in recent times other than what was initially done? So there have been sanctions against um, individuals. Uh, there have been sanctions against, um, you know, microchips and technology and, and um, elements that, uh, that the Russians rely on to support their military sector. Uh, there have been sanctions on energy. Um, so, uh, the the jury is kind of out on the sanctions, to be honest, because uh, I, I've heard some analysts say that um, Russians have been able to get around the sanctions by um, getting their microchips uh, from China or from other places, you know, and having that kind of laundered through countries like Central Asia or India or elsewhere, mm -hmm. um, that they have a very competent um, head of the Russian Central Bank, um, Nabulina. She's a very, she's an excellent economist who, over the past year, has somehow held uh, the Russian economy together. So there hasn't been hyperinflation or a collapse of the economy. Um, so I think um, there have been multiple sanctions, but the on the ground. Uh, it appears that that the lives of ordinary Russians have not changed all that much. Uh, yes, the the uh, foreign companies have left, and um, it's hard for them to manufacture um, many things like um, cars, for example, will be hard, and they're they're having a hard time with their 
military supplies. That's why they're turning to Iran and North Korea and, and elsewhere. There's mm -hmm. a question about whether or not China would circumvent the sanctions. I don't, China has demonstrated that they're not going to circumvent the sanctions. So should I let this little guy out of yes. my <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. I don't think he's going to stop if you don't let him out. Um, all right. All right. One just second. Hit, just hit the little button to um, turn your camera off. And then I'm going to okay. read a few things while you do that. So there's oh. a little option there to stop camera. Oh, oh my husband just got him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He is, that is a very vocal cat. I must say <laughs> he was, let me out of here. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I've never heard a cat he, meowing so much. I know. No, he is very loud. People ask me like, what is that a baby? No, it's not a baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So, um, yeah. so j just a couple of things here. When we talk about the support from the rest of the world, I was reading an article about South Korea how they have been, um, you know, selling and producing missiles, tanks, artillery shells, and other uh, munitions to a massive increase of 140% to a record $17.3 billion yeah. worth of arms, um, yeah. including a deal worth $12.4 billion to sell tanks, fighter jets, and multiple rocket launchers um, to Poland, who happens to be one of Ukraine's closest allies, but yet they have refused, and this is South Korea, not North Korea for the record, they have refused to sell directly to Ukraine because they are fearful of um, openly antagonizing Moscow. So there still seems to be this bit of a resistance um, with some countries who it seems like they want to help the Ukrainian people, but they're not willing to openly do it like South Korea. How many people are still yeah. on the fence here? Yeah, um, there are quite a few actually, like India has been um, neutral and a lot of you know major countries, um, countries in Latin America, there are several that have not kind of openly supported, but when there's a UN resolution, they'll abstain. Mm -hmm. um, even, you know, China supports Russia, but it's not willing to, um, it's not willing to send uh, lethal weapons or circumvent the sanctions because it still wants to maintain uh, business ties uh, with with Europe and the United States. Um, so there are countries that are concerned about this. And uh, the main reason is that there are um, many countries that still rely on Russian oil and gas, um, uh, India and China, for example. And so uh, because they do benefit from uh, Russian energy imports, they are not openly um, in favor of uh, supporting Ukraine militarily. And mm -hmm. I think uh, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, has been uh, sympathetic about that. And I think that Americans, um, the, the administration has been careful not to put allies and partners in a position where they're doing something um, that that goes against their national interests or that makes them uncomfortable based on their ties, you know, where they are in the region, what kind of ties they want to have uh, mm -hmm. with Russia. 
Um, so it is it is tricky. Um, but your point, though, Sandy, about the increase in military spending, I mean, this war has made so many countries around the world increase their military expenditures. Mm. Um, it really has. I think there, you know, there are countries in Europe that have, like France, has increased its military budget by forty percent, which is which is huge, you know. So, wow. um, yes. and it, and it's all about you know the the view that Russia is now a threat and mm -hmm. that it could. Um, if it is has invaded Ukraine, it can invade another country, and and so that is a concern. I think across the globe, you see um, different countries thinking about their defense budget and mm -hmm. increasing it. So that's a very worrisome development. Mm, of course, because for many many years, it was all about you know dearming nations, right. Um, right. You know, encouraging people to to what do they call it? Non-proliferation, right? You right. know, trying to get rid of nukes and all this other stuff. But wow, right? Um, and in fact, on that point, um, there was a, um, a a memorandum, the Budapest Memorandum of uh, 1994, um, that uh, involved Ukraine giving up its nuclear weapons because when the Soviet Union collapsed. Mm -hmm. uh, there were a bunch of uh, republics with nuclear weapons. You know, Belarus had some nuclear weapons. Ukraine did. Kazakhstan did. And and even though they didn't have the command and control over these nuclear weapons, uh, that was still in in Russia. They they um, they were nuclear powers. You know, they had weapons on their territory. And so, in order to um, rein that in. Uh, the mm -hmm. United States and and uh, the UK and Russia at the time signed this memorandum that would, in exchange for these um, new independent newly independent states giving up their nuclear weapons, uh, we would ensure their security. Their their borders would be secure. Well, obviously, you know that didn't mm -hmm. happen uh, in the case of Ukraine. And so, you know, some people say, well, the lesson that many small countries will draw from this invasion is that they need to have nuclear weapons, you know, which mm. is also another incredibly concerning mm -hmm. outcome, mm -hmm. you know, of this war. Um, and some Ukrainians have said that too, if we never gave up our nuclear weapons in 94, we wouldn't be in this position. So wow. um, it's, it's very, very disturbing. Yes. Wow. Now we heard something about an explosion of some pipelines a couple of days ago. Can you tell us, what that was about. Um, someone did it on behalf of U Ukraine, a pro-Ukrainian group actually sabotaged some pipelines. Yeah. Was that in a uh, Russian territory? Is that yes. Right? Been, yeah, yeah. This is the Nord Stream pipeline. Okay. So the Nord Stream pipeline, I think, was uh, sabotaged earlier in the war, but there have been some, um, some uh, attacks against Russian energy like depots or mm -hmm. um, inside Russia. And I think that the Ukrainians are doing that using uh, drones or um, I don't know if they have people on the ground inside Russia. Mm. Uh, but yes, the Nord Stream pipeline was sabotaged. Um, the uh, the Americans believe that the Russians blew it up. I know that there's this um, narrative out there that the Americans did it. I don't I don't quite see why that would be in the interests of the United States to to do that. But there are only a few countries that could have really um, mm -hmm. blown up the, the Nord Stream pipeline because only a few countries have the 
submarine capacity, you know, the, the mm. deep water capacity to really get at, at a pipeline like that. So, um, yeah, that's what yeah. that's one of the, so this was, things. um, just to clarify, this was the attack that happened last year, but new intelligence, uh, being reviewed by us officials suggests that a pro Ukrainian group might've been behind actually carrying oh, it out. So not, yes, I'll send yeah. you this link, but not yeah. the government directly. Oh, wow. um, and of course, they have no indication that the Russians, although that might have been an early theory, right, that the Ra right. Russians actually did it themselves. But they said that this was considered a very brazen attack on the natural oh. gas pipelines, which link Russia to Western Europe. Interesting. Um, so, yes. Wow. Yeah, I indeed. didn't see that, Sandy. So thank you so much for yeah, telling I'll me because you. that that does really. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Mm hmm. Yeah, adds a whole new element to it totally, because totally. you've got these private forces who yeah. might have access to, you know, some sort yeah. of military submarines or whatever. And exactly. the fact that they, they are choosing sides and they're getting involved in this, I think, says a lot as well. Yeah, so let's take a few comments. Um, the good doctor has to leave at 830 sharp and then we're going to have our next guest in the studio. But Damien has some very strong viewpoints on this. And I'll read a few of his comments because he's been feverish in the comment section this mm -hmm. morning. No so problem. he says, why does the U.S. have paid Taliban fighters in Ukraine? So is there any evidence that the U.S. is sending paid anybody into Ukraine, um, even American fighters versus Taliban fighters? Um, no, there I, I've, I've seen no evidence of that, Damien, so I can't speak to that. Right. Um, he also says that Ukraine is being used... Um, as a proxy war to weaken Russia by the U.S. It's also about money and military corporations. So blaming so, the Americans for this war, I don't understand that because Russia started the war. Yeah, Russia started the war. And I um, so the idea that that Ukraine is a proxy and that Russia wants that the United States wants to weaken, weaken Russia. This is a, a narrative that the Russian government has been mm -hmm. uh, repeating over and over. Um, the U.S. really has, you know, Russia's Russia was weak even going into this war and the war has weakened Russia even further. I mean, those of us who who love Russia and have dear Russian friends and care deeply about the country. I mean, we are horrified um, at the, the, um, the catastrophe that has befallen the country because of this war, not just, you know, Ukraine, the, it's obvious that how catastrophic the war has been for Ukraine, but for Russia as well, it has set the country back um, at least a decade, and it will be really hard uh, to recover um, economically and in so many ways. So um, it, Putin initiated this war. It was a war of choice. Uh, he mm -hmm. weakened Russia, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. um, that's the that that's how I view it. Um, in terms of money and military corporations, um, that is a subject that I, you know, I, I, I don't know that subject well, but I will say that speaking with uh, military officials recently, they told me that that they're helping Ukraine by depleting our own stockpiles. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're you know, we kind of have to think of our own defense because we're moving things around, you know, from one area that you know, from one area into Ukraine. So, you know, some of the criticism 
of American support of Ukraine has been, well, you know, Russia's not as big a threat as China, and we're moving resources mm -hmm. from the uh, Indo-Pacific to uh, to Europe. And so um, I think it's more complicated um, than, than it appears as, you know, just mm -hmm. kind of being driven by the military industrial complex. Yeah. Seems like he's been reading a lot of pro-Russian um, <laughs> news here. He yeah. also says China is next as the U.S. wants to remain the superpower in the world, no matter what it costs money or life. And you just said that that doesn't make any sense because, in fact, they are um, really weakening their own position in that part oh, of the world. Yeah, totally, totally. And China is actually... Um, you know, one of the arguments for maintaining a strong defense of Ukraine is, is to deter China from invading Taiwan. Um, China is a very strong country. Um, the United States um, does, you know, the, I don't I don't really know that the United States wants to control the world. You know, I, I don't think Americans really want that either. Mm -hmm. I, I think um so yeah, so I'm I'm a little uh, dubious of that of that. Mm -hmm. All right, we have a question here. It's me says, isn't China allegedly helping uh, Putin as well? Um, how much help is he getting from China? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I I think he's definitely getting some help from China. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to know because. Um, China, you know, China will say things, but never criticize Putin for the invasion. Like, so, so China will come out with a statement that we need to protect sovereign borders and, you know, which is exactly what Putin did not do. You know, he violated sovereign borders uh, and, and so on and so forth, but never criticize Putin. Um, so China's kind of playing this role of, and, and I, I heard that they're trying to come out with a, a peace proposal too, which actually they probably know Putin will reject and the West will reject, but at least it looks, it makes them look like, you know, they're uh, trying to end this war. They want this war to end. There's no mm -hmm. question that China does, does not want this war to continue. Um, they don't like this sanctions environment that's kind of inhibited their, you know, economy as well. Mm -hmm. um, they're not happy with Putin. Uh, I think when Putin went to China, it was really clear. Uh, the Chinese were really clear about how annoyed they were uh, by by this um, entire escapade of Putin. So, um, but I think um, there's been some uh some suggestion that China would support Putin militarily and in this overt way. I don't see that happening. I think the cost to China would be too great. They still want to maintain good business ties with the United States and the European Union. Mm -hmm. hmm. All right. Um, Aliano says we're going to be wrapping up in just a few minutes here. Uh, what's up with all of the oligarchs dying overseas, um, over in Russia, sorry. And I doubt they have the money to, um, to go through prolonged economic sanctions. So there have been a number of very mysterious yeah. deaths from people who right. are connected to Russia. Right. And it's been raising a lot of eyebrows. What, what do we know about right. that situation? Right. So I think it's, um, so people have different theories about this. Um, some say this is um, Putin going after people who have opposed him, uh, mm -hmm. which we know he's done. I mean, there's a long history of Putin poisoning opponents and um, assassinating opponents. So this, it's not like that would be uh, crazy or far-fetched, you know, mm -hmm. but another theory, which I think is just as, Probable, but just as likely, is that 
the war has created this kind of space for mm-hmm. different um, segments of society who are vying for power uh, to go at each other. So it might be a kind of gang warfare where uh, different groups are, um, you know, they don't have Putin, Putin's distracted by the war, the security services are distracted by the war, and they mm-hmm. can kind of this vigilante justice has taken over. So it could be a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. Um not necessarily Kremlin driven, but driven by the the vacuum, the power vacuum that has mm-hmm. enabled different business interests and different security interests to um, uh, settle scores and, um, you know, deal with their enemies. Mm. So very, very interesting. Um, Moya says it's time the U.S. put some more advanced military weapons into Ukraine hands. It's time to get the to get an end to this war. It's putting strain in everyone's economy. What has been the impact for all of us all over the world? I mean, yeah, I actually agree with Moya on this. Mm-hmm. I think that it would be. I think I think that we've we've gone a little. I, I think that that we need to just kind of help them finish the job quickly. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Um, and there are people who who have talked about this um, uh, in. You know, globally, you know, Africa, for example, relies on Ukraine a lot for grain and the cost of grain has gone up so much. Um, wealthier countries can still buy grain, but but poorer countries have a harder time. So this mm. is this is affecting food security. It's affecting the global economy. Um, so I, I do agree with with Moya's um and I, yeah, I very much advocate mm-hmm. that approach as well. Mm-hmm. It, it needs so to. Do, end. So, does that mean then the Americans going in directly, as opposed to just giving um, monetary assistance for them to try to source weapons? I think that's where most of the help thus far yeah. has been coming. I, I don't think we need to um, to put boots on the ground, but I think yeah. um, air support and you know, really kind of, you know just the fact that the Russians are still able to destroy apartment buildings at will and, mm-hmm. and, and bomb, you know, electricity, the electricity grid and pollute the water supply. I mean, these kinds, there, there must be some defensive weapons yeah. that we can supply that would, that would help the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. And of course, all of those attacks are on the citizens. That's yeah, not military. Exactly. No, exactly. Sandy. I mean, that's, what's so disturbing is that it's, um, this is total war. He has gone at the Kremlin has not gone after, you know, military installations. So when people say that, you know, Russia is defending itself against NATO, the, there's so much evidence against that, you know, mm-hmm. and the main evidence is that he, that the targets have been predominantly civilians um, and that they're trying to seize territory, deporting populations and deny Ukrainian um, statehood and, you know, they're carrying out a gen- genocidal war of destruction. So um, that's not a defense. Th- that's not the way a defensive a country mm-hmm. acts in its defense. Exactly. That's that's an aggressor. And yeah. so Tracy was sharing that Russian orphanages are, are overflowing, um, and the adoption of Ukrainian kids. New Zealand adopted heaps of Russian babies, cost thousands, then closed doors on New Zealand. Uh, or is that right? And then closed doors in New Zealand, kept them in orphanages to live and then pass on. I'm not quite sure I get that. Yeah, but... um, just, you know, just quickly, because I, I have to go just quickly yes. on orphanages. Um, there, 
there have been documented cases of Russian children being, um, I'm sorry, Ukrainian children being um, moved to Russia. Uh, their parents, some of their parents were told, oh, they're just going on a summer camp and we'll return them. And then they never hear from their kids. Oh um, and then they they get adopted or, you know, so we've had a few cases of, of children who have been reunited somehow miraculously mm -hmm. uh, with their parents. Um, but this um, kidnapping, basically kidnapping mm -hmm. of Ukrainian children and raising them Russian. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it violates the UN Genocide Convention, frankly. Mm -hmm. yes. um, yeah. And it sounds a lot like what happened in World War II. Absolutely. With, with the Jews. Absolutely. I mean, total annihilation of an entire people. You talked about changing history books, trying to annihilate their, their language. I mean, these are the things right. that you do when right. you're trying to erase people Absolutely. from the face of the earth. And Absolutely. that's just crazy that Absolutely. here we are in 2023, that that's still possible. Absolutely. That's why we fought World War II, folks. Yeah. It's so true. It's oh so God. true. And and you hear it in Putin's speeches. You know, his speeches say it. And the, the propagandists on Russian television talk about mm -hmm. this. Yeah. They Ukraine is is not a country. It shouldn't be a country. It's it's belongs oh to God. Russia. Ukrainians are not really like that's not a distinct ethnicity. It's not a and and there's such a long history with that, um, mm -hmm. Sandy, too. I mean, it goes back to the czars, really, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. denied uh, who banned the Ukrainian language for a time. So. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, um, yeah we really appreciate you um, coming on the program. As always, um, you're such a wealth of information and you just make it easier to understand a little bit about what's happening. I don't think any of us have a real concept um, of the amount of destruction and damage that this war has caused now over 12 months. Um, any predictions on how much longer? I mean, I know you probably hate to say it because it seems like it's dragging on. But so what I have heard people say is that it, it could be another year. It, it might end by the end of the year. Um, wars end when both parties believe that they just, you know, they have to negotiate. I mean, all wars end in negotiation, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. uh, right now the Ukrainians th think they can win and the Russians think they can win. And so there's no incentive on either side to, to sit down. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully uh, by the end of the year, um, that's what I'm hoping wow. for. Unbelievable. Thank you, doctor. And say hello to your cat for us. Okay. There's, quite a few, <laughs> there's quite a few people in the comment section. One person said, um, whose cat? It's driving my dog crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Soka said she's on the she's on the train in Miami listening to the show and she heard this cat and she was looking around to see if there was a cat on the train with her. <laughs> so yeah, um, next time, Sandy. Now. Yeah, I'll make sure next time he's not in my room. Yeah, I thought he'd sometimes he's great and he just falls asleep and he's totally great. And then other times. Yeah, yeah he's, he's yeah. now famous. He's now famous. Right. <laughs> um, okay, thank well, you. Thank so you. Much. Okay, bye -bye. really appreciate it. Have a my good pleasure. One. Bye bye. So, again, folks, that was um, Dr. Golfo Alex Alexopoulos. <laughs> That's a, that's a mouthful. She is the professor and director of the USF Institute for Russian, European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of South Florida. Really an extremely knowledgeable person. We're so grateful to have... Oh, Alexa. Alexa, stop. Oh, you know what? Because her first name is... I said Alexopoulos. And this thing thought I said Alexa. All right, so um, she's uh, an amazing wealth of information. Um, PhD from University of Chicago, 1996. Yale University, 1988. 
and she has been um, teaching courses related to contemporary Russian politics and society, modern Europe, and the Soviet Union for many, many years. Um, undergraduate and graduate courses that focus on conflict in the world, comparative dictatorship and authoritarianism, and the problems of war and revolution, as well as genocide and human rights. There's a lot to unpack, folks. And, you know, at the end of the day, we bring these experts on. Thanks, by the way, to Kevin, who has, he works at USF, and he has uh, an amaz amazing um, access to a lot of these professionals. Folks, we bring them on because this is what they do for a living. They have studied for 30 years, European studies, Russian, you know. So I know everybody in the comment section, you guys believe that you're the experts and you have an opinion and you've been reading all kinds of propaganda and a lot of you are picking sides, but we like to bring people on who actually are the professionals, who's, who've made it their life study. So you guys are experts in everything. You're experts in COVID, you're experts in marijuana, you're experts in Russian affairs and the Ukraine war. Like you have so many PhDs all over the place. I'm always quite impressed. Uh, not. I'm being facetious here. Pay attention now. Um, so yes, y'all are something else, honey chill. But uh, we're going to switch gears here this morning. Um, you know, you've got to be willing to accept that you can read all the propaganda in the world that you want. But Russia started this war. And what they have done to the people of Ukraine has been absolutely hor horrific and, um, you know, just disgusting. So Jonathan says, you think you're an expert too. Actually, no, I don't. That's why I bring experts on the show because they're the experts. And that's why I ask them the questions and the things that I'm reading. I'm saying, is this, is this really what the position is? If I thought it was an expert, I'd never bring an expert on the program, but thanks for your opinion. Um, so listen, we've got a guest now who is um, coming up and um I want to go ahead and say that, um, give me one second here. Uh, I'm going to set some ground rules for the next part of this discussion, because ultimately, folks, this is a very, very difficult situation as it relates to, um, you know, sexual assault. Now, I, we, we covered this case extensively. So this is the case of DJ um, Renato Harris. The victim in that case has decided to come on the program today. This, uh, I think, is probably a momentous occasion in the sense that we've never had a rape victim appear on the show as a guest. We've had people call in who said that they have been assaulted. I know the last time we talked about this, we had a, a woman called in um, said that, you know, at the hands of her husband, she was assaulted and, you know, people are getting more comfortable actually having this level of um, discourse. And I think it's a very, very important conversation that we open up and we have, but this has to be now a safe place for individuals to come on the program who are victims. And I cannot tell you um, in my mind what it must be taking for her to even agree to this. She She's come forward. She said, yes, I will do it. Um, I don't personally know this young lady, but she appears to be a very strong young lady for all that she's endured and all that she's been through to be able to come on the program and even talk about any element of this to me is amazing. She's going to talk about her advocacy work 
And so I want to caution you all, especially in the comment section, to really try to be as respectful as possible. I'm not going to turn the comment section off because, um, you know, I believe in free speech, but free speech up to a point because I don't want to traumatize this young lady any further. I mentioned on yesterday's program that every time she, you know, hears anything reported about her case, um, this is without a doubt a reliving of those events all over again. So if you have a question for her, um, I want you to ask the question respectfully. If you have an opinion, uh, you need to be respectful in the way that you deliver that opinion. And I think that that's all I can say. I don't wanna have to block any of you today. So please, um, folks, try to be on your best possible behavior. Johan has a comment. He says, the victim coming in CMR, this is a brave in capital letters woman. And this is, folks, International Women's Day. And so she has picked this day purposely um, because this is a day that we are celebrating women around the world and um, with a view, quite frankly, to showing our strength. But every time we talk about something like International Women's Day, we have to admit that, my God, we are... We have a long way. We've come a long way, but we've still got a long way to go when it comes to women's rights. And so, of course, in that vein, I do want to wish all of you um, a happy International Women's Day, which is being celebrated around the world today. All right. So um, I'm going to go ahead and pull you into the studio, young lady. Um, Darren, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. First of all, this is my first time. I know we've been talking on WhatsApp and stuff, and I don't think we've never even had a phone phone conversation, right? No, just voice oh my gosh. Just Yeah. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on the program today. I think you're an amazing person. Like I can't say it enough because this is for me um, a historical moment in the Cayman Islands. It's a momentous occasion and we're going to celebrate you here today and hopefully give you, you know, a comfortable place to be able to share your story. Um, thank you um, for having me. And I want to um, just send just explicit gratitude towards you because I actually reached out to you. Um, one of my very good friends that lives, this Kimanian, he lives on island, was sending me various media posts. And I think I dropped in in one of the um, sessions for um, when you were, I'm going to refer to him as this person. Um, yes. I still yeah. don't feel comfortable just um, speaking. Um, certain people's names out loud. So yes. for the audience, I'm going to say this person or this man mm -hmm. or this individual. Um, and I reached mm -hmm. out to you because um, I do advocacy work now and I know how brave it is to stand so boldly um, against an uncomfortable and definitely an unpopular opinion. Um, yet you have faced a lot of vitriol and so has your family and my heart goes out to you and your family. You definitely do not deserve that. Um, but yes, I reached out to you and we started communicating and then, um, the request to come on the show came up and it was, it took a lot of thought. Yes. <laughs> I had to talk to people, um, just to make sure this was the right next step. But, um, mm -hmm. so far I'm very happy that I took this leap of faith and I'm here with you all this morning. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Um, 
you know, it's, I, I sat through um, a lot of the trial and um, I actually missed the day because you came on pretty early. So I did miss the day that you gave your evidence, but from um, the cross-examination and the examination in chief and everything else, I was able to get a lot of um, what you said and what, what happened to you. Um, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I, I'm, I'm feeling emotional about this. I can only imagine how you must feel, but um, let, let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind about how this happened, right? So you were living in the Cayman Islands. Um, you were a student here. And up to that point, your life was like most students, just, you know, going to class, um, socializing, going out on occasion. Um, you had met this person several times before. So um, I remember meeting him um, explicitly that we exchanged, had a conversation with each other in February mm -hmm. of 2018. The assault happened in July of 2018. And he introduced himself as, you know, a local DJ, a promoter. Um, mind you, when I met this individual, I was 23 years old. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I'm 28 now. But um, yeah, just looking back, I was like, oh, wow, I thought I was grown there. But I was like, I was kind of a, I was a young person, um, you know, so he exchanged, we exchanged information, and we only message each other um, for him to tell me this event is happening, come to this event. And I'll be like, yes, mm -hmm. no, I'm not available. I'm busy. So that was the extent of our communication and the rapport mm -hmm. with each other, which is like a basic like promoter DJ um, person yeah. relationship. Yeah. So this wasn't someone that you were hanging out with. You were not friends with him. You'd never gone no. to dinner with him or any of that stuff. Um, absolutely not. No. <laughs> yeah. Because he, he tried yeah. to kind of push this narrative in court that, of course, you know, you wanted to be in a relationship with him. But that definitely was was not the case. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, are, are you comfortable talking a little bit about um, the actual night in question? Um, yeah. And again, you know, I haven't I haven't prepped just for the benefit of our listeners. Um, I don't, you know, prepare questions in advance or anything. So I like a conversation, an interview to be very, very organic. But I do want to ask her permission with certain things today um, because I know, you know, um, what this, you know, I can only imagine. I don't know. I can only imagine what this uh, could be like here today. So let me know. Um that day, it was a, was it a Friday or Saturday night? I'm trying to remember. It, it was a Friday because I, obviously for many reasons, I'll never forget that day, but it was actually mm -hmm. the end of, um, in medical school, we do block exams. So every mm -hmm. block, we basically every quarter of a semester we do exams. So that was the end of our block three exams. So we written and we write exams all day, literally like 8 PM to like the afternoon, like two or three exams back to back. Mm -hmm. So usually after those block exams, you know, me and my, you know, fellow students and peers, we want to go out and have fun because we literally spend the, you know, lockdown studying mm -hmm. in class, very stressful. So, you know, we went out and to have fun. We started out at the beach and we're like, oh, let's go out to the bars and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I went out with my um, also, I don't know if I should say the name of a school, but a medical school on Cayman Islands, mm -hmm. um, classmates, um, we all yes. went out because 
those were my essentially my friends because I've made Caymanian friends throughout my time, but those are the people mm-hmm. I spend. 95% of my time right. around. So um, we went out, we began at Obar. I don't know if Obar is still in existence. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't now. know if it's still Obar, but I think it's something that's there in that building. Yeah. Yeah. That first mm-hmm. thing, actually, sorry, Morello's. I don't know if that's, I think that's further down West Bay Road, but we started out right. there. So we were yeah. there um, having fun, drinking, all of that kind of stuff. And then we moved to Obar. So that was the second location. Mm-hmm. So I had, um, hmm, I had um, gone out with five, um, including me. So four other female classmates of us. So we all jumped in the same car. We took the same car to Borello's where we began, jumped in the mm-hmm. same car to Obar. So we were all moving together as essentially a girl mm-hmm. group. Um, right. Mind you, and then that's what me. just just for the record, you know, that's what you're told to do. I, I've been that age. I was in university. Um, I was always the designated driver, though, because I don't actually drink. But, yeah. um, you know, you try to stay together as women as much as you can and be on the lookout for each other. Um, and you travel, you travel as a group. I mean, they tell you do this to try to be safe. Um, so that sounds like you guys were having a uh, just a regular university night out, really. Yes, um, very regular in what I thought, in that, in my opinion. So we all in the same car, we arrived at Obar, and I believe I was the first one to get out first. So I began drinking at Borello's, and because I've been mm-hmm. studying all day, doing exams all day, I'm very sure, like, my food, my belly wasn't full. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, drinking at mm-hmm. Borello's, at Obar, get out of the car first, and the girls looked like they were getting in the car too. So I was walking ahead because I just wanted to have, to be very honest with everybody, and I'm reconciling with this and not trying to shame and blame myself. I just wanted to have fun after yeah. very stressful <laughs> time in school. So yes. I walked in, believe my female friends at the time were behind me. And we walk into Obar and I remember Obar being super crowded, like packed like sardines. So I was like, oh, maybe they're um, really behind. Maybe they're at the door, you know, checking your ID, you know, that whole process of entering Mm -hmm. a club. So I'll Mm -hmm. just like wait. And I was like waiting, meandering, walk back to the door. Didn't see my friend. Now I'm texting them, Mm -hmm. texting them, texting all of them. Mind you, four other women, no Mm -hmm. response. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So in the process of texting them, that's when I ran into him. And I said, okay. you know, I'm looking for friends, can't find my friends. And then right. at first he helped me kind of in the search effort to look for him, for my friends. And, you know, we went to the bar and I'm not too clear the sequence of events after this. Mm-hmm. So um, I apologize for any kind of like mm-hmm. time lapse. No, that's um, okay. And- um, so I remember him buying me like two, like just straight Hennessy, um, glasses, um, yeah. two, and I already started drinking there with the two Hennessy. I was, I was gone in the yeah. process of, that, I remember, again, let, let me, class. let me ask you a question about that. If I can just pause you for a quick second, as I listened to the story before and in court, I, I have a suspicion that you were drugged that night. Do you think you were drugged that night? I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't personally drink. Um, and I know you were saying, you know, you didn't eat. So there would have been other things that contributed to the degree of possible intoxication. 
But mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like you might have been slipped something. I do you, do I you ever feel lie. that way? Um, over the last four, um, almost five years at this point, um, I've had that thought um, mm-hmm. initially after it happened, obviously at various mm-hmm. points throughout the years. Um, I cannot tell you definitively if I was or wasn't. All I can mm-hmm. tell you is that I became um, like um, not in- like incoherent um, beyond intoxication into incapacitation. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. um, I was still I was able to you know walk my whole my own feet, but I do not have a memory past a certain point. Like it's like it's completely stops. Like a whole black curtain <laughs> comes mm-hmm. down. Um, mm. so yeah, so to answer that question, I could not tell you yes or no definitively. Um, mm-hmm. obviously, for the proof of such thing, the time has long passed to determine mm-hmm. that. Um, but I've definitely had my feelings mm-hmm. about whether that was a possibility in this um scenario, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. So you were you were at the bar. Um, yeah. He bought you two Hennessy drinks. And how, how much had you had before that? How many couple? What were you Ooh. drinking? Because I think there was a mixing of drinks and stuff as well. Yes, I definitely leaned towards tequila. So when at Borello's, where we first started off, I was definitely taking shots, mm-hmm. probably to the four or five different shots of tequila mm-hmm. um, prior um, to arriving Borello's where it was two cups of Hennessy. And this is just Hennessy, not Hennessy and Coke or Hennessy and Red Bull. Mm-hmm. It was just like- This is straight up. Wow. Yeah, of Hennessy. Um, mm-hmm. So um, yeah. Um, then I remember leaving um, the club with him. Oh, um, before I arrived at that point. So I texted, uh, one of my friends, quotation marks, got back to mm-hmm. me and she said, oh, we're at home we're in our beds and we're asleep and mind you probably a duration of 20 plus minutes had hmm. passed so they mm-hmm. had texted me back and said <laughs> we're at home comfortable in our beds mm. asleep or to sleep yeah um that i have my own um feelings and um about that but i guess that's yeah yeah so it's kind of like in a way they just abandoned you and what should have been a girl's night out um and and I want to say that you know you don't necessarily have to speak to this about your friends as you say but this is one of the things women if you go out in a group you've got to stick with it's like girl code right if you say okay let's go out together I'm the designated driver I can't then be like oh I'm the designated driver but I'm gonna start drinking or whatever right you've got to and I know that sometimes it's difficult young people they're not always thinking about the dangers that they're putting themselves or their friends in, but, you know, have a plan before you go out, but you've got to more importantly stick to that plan once you're there. Um, Cause so many things can happen in the course of, of an evening. Right. So, yeah. Um, so um, I was, I, a lot, I remember even in that state, a lot of feelings came up um, around that. Cause I was brought up the same way. Um, sisterhood your sister's mm-hmm. keeper, even if I see a random girl on the streets or at the club and she looks by herself mm-hmm. or something's off, I always check in or make sure, you know, the appropriate people around. So that's just how <laughs> yeah. um, I've been brought up and what I know to do. So I, I had a lot of feelings about that, but, you know, at the mm-hmm. forefront, I guess, of my drunken mind, I, you know, it was kind of like, 
F them now. I want to have fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I overestimated how much clearly I could trust him with mm -hmm. safety and my well-being, um, especially in that state. But I was not thinking mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. Um, partially, a lot of it was the alcohol. I, I couldn't mm -hmm. make rational decisions and a lot of things was like you know like I want to have fun my friends just abandoned me like you know different thoughts mm -hmm. let me just go so we left um old bar together and we edit ended to burger shack so that would have been like literally not too far from old bar I think maybe less than a two minute drive down mm -hmm. to burger shack um the location of old bar and right. um, he, and you he didn't have a car. So to be clear, I mean, not that you'd be driving after having a couple of Hennessy's, but you didn't have a car. And so he had a car. Had he been drinking as well? Yeah. Yeah. We were drinking together. Because mm -hmm. I remember he would, we, we got drink because his whole thing, I, re I, I I slightly remember things like, you know, he's posturing and saying, you know, I know this, I know this person, mm -hmm. I can get us free drinks. So that whole like kind of mm -hmm. posturing and you know he also um consumed alcohol um as well yeah. um that evening. yeah and that was one of the things just to pause a little bit here that actually came out in the trial is that he fancies himself to really be someone of importance I mean he said that like I'm a well-known DJ and all the girls want me and you know, like this attitude right which I know ultimately didn't sit well with the judge. I mean, I don't know how much of the trial you watched post your, your testimony, but at one point the prosecution said to him, she was asking a series of questions about how he sees himself in this community. And he was very much like, she asked him direct questions. Oh, so you're like a celebrity. He's like, yeah. And I was like, first thing I was like in court going WTF, like, really? You're not a celebrity, dude, you're a friggin' DJ. But yeah, in his mind, he's a celebrity. And so with that celebrity status comes this sense of entitlement and that all the girls want me kind of thing. And, you know, I think he probably shouldn't have answered the question, the questions in the way that he did. But he was, I guess, at least at that point, being honest about how he saw himself. So you decide to go get some food because now you're feeling like you need something to kind of soak up the alcohol. Yeah, I needed something to yeah, take some of that drunkenness off. So we arrive at a burger shop together. So he did purchase me a meal. I cannot tell mm -hmm. you what a burger and fries, just to say that. Um, and yeah. we're in the vehicle together. And this part is um, an interesting part. And also something I had to reconcile with is that we mm -hmm. did have a kiss in mm -hmm. the vehicle. And mm -hmm. I know a lot of people will have opinions about that. And mm -hmm. I have definitely um, shamed myself um, more than probably anybody um, can, but we did exchange a kiss in the car. And that was for me from a point of, you know, I was, I was drunk. I wasn't thinking, Yeah. but didn't want anything. I, it wasn't like a make out long make out. It was literally like a kiss, probably like, under three seconds type of thing. Yeah. And let me and just say this as well, right? Because I, I hear you when you say you have probably been your own worst critic. And I think a lot of people don't get this. And sometimes when I see people in the comment section 
defending rapists and talking about, well, this person must have had an agenda, whatever. They don't understand that the victim will always question, I could have done this differently. I shouldn't have kissed him. I shouldn't have taken two drinks from him. I shouldn't have, you know, when I found out my friends had left, I should have, you know, like there's so many things I'm sure over the years that you have replayed in your head, blaming yourself. Um, so no one can blame you more than you probably beat up and blamed yourself. And I just want to make that point because I think a lot of times people just do not understand the damage that they're making, even in terms of the comments and stuff that they make about assault victims. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, you blame yourself. You play every interaction, every scenario, even down to like, oh, should I even have allowed this man to have my number to communicate with me in any regard? So it le- mm-hmm. so it didn't leave up to that point. The moment my friends had texted me, I should have taken myself home. Why did I continue to stay? You know, why did I look at this person that I've had very limited communication with, let alone in-person physical interaction with and trusted him in such a um, highly vulnerable and pretentious. Um, um, and again, that kiss, um, it happened. Uh, I never denied it um, from the first time I reported mm-hmm. it to the police till mm-hmm. now. <laughs> um, I never did, but yeah. my, my intention was never to have any sexual relations or any intercourse or anything with yeah with with the yeah. that I was just drunk <laughs> yeah and and, and I want to say too that one of the things that the prosecution highlighted which I think is a very very fair point um you've all your your story has always been consistent um and you've always told the truth so one important way to to sort of test that is there were things that didn't make you didn't put you in a good light like saying yes I did kiss him you were the one who admitted that to the police and you said that from the initial report, right? So anything that you did that night that you could recall, you were upfront about, um, even if it was something that didn't necessarily make you look good. Because a lot of victims would be like, oh my God, I'm not gonna share that because then that makes it look like maybe I wanted it or I'm not gonna say, and they might leave out parts of the story. You didn't do that. You were just completely honest with what you could remember and what you said transpired, right? Yeah. 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 And I'm not going to lie. Those thoughts definitely went through my mind. Like I understand um, even before I got into this, had my experience, I knew what it was like as a woman (laughs) for women who dare to speak up or say anything. Mm -hmm. And I knew the level of scrutiny that exists. Mm -hmm. So I knew I, whether it be the court of law or the court of public opinion, was gonna come <laughs> yeah um from every direction um so yeah <laughs> um so next thing that I remember is that and this one I know he contested it but I it, it it just rings in my ears that I can never forget it that I remember him like answering a phone call and then he was saying something mm-hmm. about his son his son and mind you we're probably two or three it's two or three a.m something that whereabouts in the morning, like it's very mm-hmm. late. And he gets a call. I don't remember. He said it was from his son directly or uh, one of the mother of his children. I don't know what it was that he had to go home right away. He was making it seem like very urgent. 
urgent and X, Y, and Z check up on his son or something to that regard. Because mm-hmm. again, something I wasn't thinking straight. Why would I want to go to hell of all places with this man mm-hmm. in the state? Because I was like, I want to go to hell. I want to go down West mm-hmm. Bay and go to hell again. Not thinking. Yeah. Um, got this call from something about his son. There was urgency in it. It made it like I thought mm-hmm. it was like wild or even if his son and he had to go home immediately to mm-hmm. do whatever with his son or check up on his son mm-hmm. and because of the level of urgency he presented it with I did not question it because a, a child is involved and anytime mm-hmm. a parent picks up a call with that urgency I'm not going to be like oh no don't check up on your son so instead of going west down West Bay Row we go I guess east um into Georgetown and I do I could not tell you even till today if you showed me on a map where exactly I was I could not tell you I mm-hmm. just knew we were driving towards Georgetown um so he arrives at his um, place I'm still in the vehicle at this point he said let me I'll quickly mm-hmm. go and check them I'll come back mm-hmm. out and then we'll go to hell so I waited mm-hmm. and waited in the car and I don't remember exactly what was said that Again, I used my own two feet. I wasn't forced out of the vehicle um, to enter that home. And I just remember entering the home, like standing by the door, the exit. And then I remember just a set of stairs, like looking up the mm-hmm. stairs and it was black, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. and then after that, I don't remember. I don't remember physically walking up the stairs. I don't remember, like, I just remember I walked in, mm-hmm. it was pink black. I saw like lights coming from like, one central source like like so I could tell there were stairs and then mm-hmm. after that memory um was gone you remember nothing after that I don't remember wow. <laughs> and you actually left your I found it was interesting that you left your phone in the car because most people are attached to their phone and sort of any movements that they're making they're taking their phone so to me that was an indication that you left your phone in the car that you didn't intend to go in this man's house and spend any amount of time. You're like, okay, I'm going to go stand here. He's going to do whatever. And I'm going to go right back to my phone and my car and I mean, his car and my phone, your handbag. Did you have a handbag that night? I believe I did. Cause I would have had ID, but I always remember yeah. one thing I remember strongly was my phone because the next morning, um, when I woke up and came to, and after the events of the morning after, um, one of my first things is like, I saw my clothes, but I was like, where's my phone? Because again, I am mm-hmm. someone of a particular generation. I am attached like to my mm-hmm. phone. Like I probably never lost the phone, probably like one time in middle school when I was super young, I've never lost a cell phone after that. So I woke up the next day and then discovered that my phone was dead inside his car. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I probably my purse, and I can I can't recall with great accuracy. I'm gonna be honest with that, but I would also believe that my purse and ID and all those mm-hmm. other things. If I had left my mm-hmm. phone, I wouldn't have in everything right. else and left my phone. So your next recollection then, um, after seeing those stairs and then everything going blank, is is when in the morning. In the morning, so. And I guess, I guess trigger warning <laughs> um, mm-hmm. for the folks that are listening. Um, so I wake up and I remember I woke up and I was facing the window and I was like, mm-hmm. the, the daylight had come in. So the sun had risen. It was bright mm-hmm. outside. I'm looking out the window. I was like, 
this is not the orientation of my room. I don't have a window that faces my bed. And I looked at the bed sheet. I was like, yeah, this is not my bed sheet. And I was like, why am I naked? Like I went through so many levels of thought and I turned over and I see him laying beside me also oh um, naked. And then I distinctly remember wetness in between my legs and that kind of when that when I kind of put two and two together I jolted up it was like a I was shocked a lot because I was a little groggy I was like what's going on and then when I put all the pieces together I realized what had happened and I jolted up and I essentially that woke him up and I just said you know what just take me home because at this point I don't like I recognized him. <laughs> I didn't recognize where I was, but I put two together. I was like, this is probably his home. Um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. The night prior. And mm-hmm. at this point, just take me home. <laughs> and he didn't want to take me home. Um, so he proceeded to, as I was, because I, where I was, it was bare, it was him the door and the bed was pushed up against the wall so I was barricaded with him like the, and then the up exit, against the wall and like up against the wall so right. I essentially um and I know this was brought up in court why didn't you climb down this side of the bed and go like this all of that and um my mind wasn't going to like what's the best strategic way of exiting yeah you're sleep. expecting him to just move so you can get up yeah, I move, I can get out and I see my clothes in the corner over there. So I'm like, just let me go and just take me home. And he proceeds to um, push me um, back on the bed. Like um, literally I'm trying to now get over him, like physically mm-hmm. get over him. And then he uses his force and pushes me down like this mm-hmm. and then um, um, proceeds to assault me and um I was kicking screaming telling him to stop don't Mm -hmm. do this and after a while um I think my mind and my body realized that you're you're stuck (laughs) there's nothing that you you can physically do because now he had he had I remember even holding me down like this so he had his force um restraining me and then after a while i just remember my body and my mind just going um numb (laughs) um Mm -hmm. yeah just numb and it felt like (laughs) it felt like i was having like an i dissociated a a little bit like um a little bit of an outer body experience um i knew what was i knew what was happening but i realized that i kicked screamed told him to stop begged pleaded he's gonna he's gonna do whatever he wants to do so what is the most I guess is like how do you make this less risky mm-hmm. for yourself like how just mm-hmm. try to get out like alive right at this point. yes <laughs> um, wow yeah because yeah. at this point at this point he is forcibly raping you you have no memory of the first assault but obviously at this point you're you, you don't know what he's capable of because if he's capable of restraining you with force and ignoring your kicks and your demands for him to stop and your pleads for him to stop in your mind, you're probably thinking, what else might he do to me today? Yeah. 
Yeah, and some people might, um, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I'm on social media, I've been seeing the type of commentary that had been coming from people and, you know, mm-hmm. um, an assessment of his good character. Um, but when you're in that situation and someone, despite, you know, you t- basically fighting for your life takes what they want and how much they want of you, you don't know what is the next thing that can come mm-hmm. from this. Right. Yeah. Um so I was like, okay, my body, my mind went numb. It felt like I was like a rag doll at that point. Um, and I was trying to just like, okay, let me just get out of this intact, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, so he finishes and he proceeds to ejaculate on his hand because after the first assault, because I told him, I was like, you not only had a... Uh, raped me but you did not use condoms and then I guess his response to that was you know him and did you did you use the do you remember if he used the word um rape when you were talking to him about the first incident the night before because I know it was brought up about how you were concerned that he didn't use protection which to him apparently is not a big deal but do you remember if he actually used the term rape I believe I did because I remember us clearly having a dialogue. Is like, why are you trying yeah. to make me look like a monster? I'm not a monster. So even and after it, all of that, he turns around and rapes you a second time. Oh my God. Yeah. He's like, wow. why are you trying to make me feel and look like a monster? Why are you like, he, cause that was a conversation from after the second assault to essentially when he dropped me back home. Um, why are you making me feel I'm, mo- I'm not a monster? All of that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, he ejaculated in his hand. I was like, basically, like, here, are you happy now? That, I must tell you, when that evidence came out, I was, everything about this is egregious and disgusting. But that comment, like you rape someone, and then mm-hmm. you're like, you ejaculate in your hand, you go, here you go. Are you happy now? Like, I, I, I don't even know... I mean, nobody knows how they would respond. And I mean, nobody knows how they would respond in a situation like this. You know, those of us who are fighters, you think that you're going to fight, but you don't know. Because like you said, in your mind now, you're like, what if he tries to kill me? Like fighting is not always the best thing to do. Like sometimes you have to use your head and know how to kind of ease out of a situation so that you can get out of it alive. And there were tons of instances all over the world where, where women are smart enough to try to make a connection with um, their rapists, their abusers, whatever. And that's exactly what kept them alive. And had they fought, you know, they would have been hurt worse or they would have been killed or whatever. So sometimes you've just got to assess the situation as you're in it. But I have thought about that moment when it came out in evidence and I felt like I probably would have tried to kick him in the friggin' nuts, like in that moment, like right then and there, if I could, but you know, mm-hmm. I understand the the predicament of number one, never judge because you don't, you've never been there, you've never been in that situation. And um, but but what when he said that to you, what were you thinking? I mean, I would have been so like you said, you at that point you were kind of having this out of body experience. Was any of it really sinking in, like what he just said to you? It was all sinking in, like the Titanic. Um, oh my god! It was. It was. I mean, there was a lot of violations on so many levels, but that was like the nail in the coffin of mm. 
the extent of disregard for my humanity that he has and he he thinks this is I mean I don't put it past a rapist to, to think like you know like oh I did something like wrong maybe I shouldn't have done that but it was really it was a grotesque response and made me feel like less than dirt it made me feel subhuman like I was literally and I don't know what kind of language I can use like this but like I was a C-U-M rag um mm -hmm. A place for mm -hmm. someone to just use and abuse and yeah I've never been treated <laughs> like that um yeah yeah so so um I'm I'm seeing some of your comments uh folks and I'm not really reading comments right now because I do want to I understand how difficult this is for Darren, so I want her to get through the substantive story and then we'll open it up to questions. But Jeanette is asking um, if this so-called DJ served time. So to be very clear, this is DJ Renato Harris. He has been convicted, he was found guilty by a judge and he has been sentenced to 16 and a half years. So this is the recent case that we covered. And I know a lot of people had an opinion one way or the other. Um, so this now is the young lady. And I was so upset, um, Darren, that a lot of people were like, oh, this is some white woman who's up against this black man and has an agenda. And here you are, a beautiful sister. Um, and to me, it shouldn't matter what color you were. But some people seemed comfortable and okay with it if you had been a white woman. And to me, that's really disgusting. I can't wrap my head around that, you know, but let's leave that alone for a second because um, we'll get to talking a little bit about rape culture because now Darren is an advocate for other victims. Um, so this incident happens to you. Um, he rapes you a second time. And mm -hmm. then what happens at that point? Um, he ejaculates in his hand, says, there, are you happy? And then mm -hmm. what, what happens after that? Um, because of the events of the following or the first um, rape, um, I knew that he ejaculated in me. And he essentially, because I didn't know what I was, and I know this was brought up in court, um, his defense was, why didn't you just run out the road and start screaming, like, bloody murder, um, and why did you choose to get back in the vehicle with him to, A, take you to the pharmacy to get uh, black mm -hmm. emergency contraception, mm -hmm. and then subsequently take you home, and <laughs> I said, like... It's one, like, I, at that point, I look like I had been, I have been through it. Not just, like, mm -hmm. you know, goes on from the other night, but I was in such, the, the like, I don't, like, the shame would not allow me to now run out into the road, residential area, and start screaming mm -hmm. um, bloody murder, because, like, I, I, I don't even know how to answer that question, to be very to be very yeah. frank. <laughs> I mean, people have, to me, it's it's weird that people have um, an expectation of what they think victims will do. Yeah. I mean, I think if you've never been a victim, you really shouldn't judge the situation because, you know, not of sexual assault, but even things in general, like I've been in situations where I thought, oh my God, I'm going to react this way and I'm going to do this. I'm going to, and it never happens. Like you don't yeah. react the way that you think you're going to react and just normal stresses when you're under stress when you're under fight or flight or whatever i don't to me it doesn't make any logical sense that you would just run out in the middle of the street you know naked saying what somebody help me you don't know where you are you don't know you know like i, I couldn't quite 
understand why people would have thought that that was even, of course, his defense was pulling at straws, right? So none of what he really yeah. said made any sense to me, but he was trying any and everything um, to so, try to be like, oh, well, if somebody just raped you, wouldn't you be doing this? And it's like, no, in fact, you probably wouldn't be running out in the street, screaming down the place. You're just thinking, yeah. how do I now get out of this situation and get back to the safety of my own place? Mm-hmm. Yes. And that was a forefront of my mind. Um, again, in that process of him assaulting me the second time, at first, before he started saying, you think I'm a monster, all that kind of stuff, he was thinking this was the most enticing sexual experience that he had. Like he was some, I don't know, mandingo that I don't want to be so crass this early morning that really laid it down. And I he noticed because I when he was done, I remember rolling over and just in fetal position, like sobbing. And he was oh just like, you know, like I think in his mind, he's like, I really I did something. And then after he noticed like I'm sobbing in fetal position, just inconsolable is like, why are you trying to make me a monster? Why are you trying to make me a monster? And you know, all that yeah. process, you're restraining me, holding me down, me kicking, screaming, and me essentially going numb and just being unreactive, lying there like a dead body, just hoping this ends. Yeah. Just, I just want want this thing to end. And he, I can tell he took a lot of joy and satisfaction in raping me. Um, so that happened. And then I was like, I, I was crying, crying. And then I was like, I just need to, I need to go home. Just take me home. And then um, he Googled on his phone, mm-hmm. I believe, the time where the next pharmacy opened, I, I believe it was 8 or 9 p.m. or 9 a.m. So that was the earliest pharmacy opening time to get um, emergency contraception. Because again, I was like, just just take me home. I just need to take, in Canada, we call it a plan B, but emergency cross the morning after Bell. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I know ejaculating and he, yeah, he said he ejaculated to me. Like that mm-hmm. wasn't a qualm for him. Um, so mm-hmm. in that, um, I wanted to go to the bathroom to wash as much of him off as mm-hmm. me. And then again, another conversation that comes up like, you know, you shouldn't take a bath. You shouldn't wash yourself. You know, you should have gone to the hospital and do mm-hmm. done a rape bed or something like that. Again, I, I just want to not be, I want to be home. I want to not be with this individual. I go to the hospital, you know, have, make sure you don't take a shower so they can get all of the forensic evidence. Mm-hmm. My thing is like, I want to, I want to go home. Mm-hmm. So he, I went to the bathroom and mind you, or the night before he was saying something about his son, his son, and it was a pretty small um, living space. I, there was two stories, but it was pretty small that I can see if there was any other human being in that place. Mind you, for when this was happening, I guess this was the master bedroom of the primary bedroom this happened in, the door was mm-hmm. open. Because he was mm-hmm. saying the night prior something about his son, his son. And I, when I walked to the bathroom, I saw another bedroom. There was only one other bedroom I saw. And the door mm-hmm. was open. The lights were off, but I didn't see any indication of anybody else, especially a son, um, mm-hmm. being in that place. And went to the bathroom, could not use the bathroom. Um, it was absolutely, his whole living environment was absolutely disgusting. But that bathroom was 
a level of disgusting that I have not personally seen in a long time. So I just took toilet paper and tried to do what I could. And then it was time. And then he took me to the, um, the pharmacy that was open at that time. Um, he purchased the plan B also another thing. Mm -hmm. I also, cause I was again, so distraught. I looked so tattered that I was like, mm -hmm. okay, I, at this point now I'm just trying to be kind because going back mm -hmm. to I don't know what else this person can do to me. So mm -hmm. let me try the situation as much as I could. I go mm -hmm. to the, we get to the pharmacy parking lot. Um, I He goes in first to try to purchase the plan B. And I don't know in the Cayman Islands, like in Canada, um, a morning after pill is over the counter. You don't need to talk to a pharmacy sister, get a prescription to get it. You just pick it up the shelf and go. But I mm -hmm. guess here, um, I, um, he came back into the car and said, the pharmacist has to see me. And I was so, oh, I was so mortified. Cause I remember the way this woman looked at me <laughs> cause I was wearing my clothes from last night. I clearly look like I have been, I have, you know, I, I could see in her eyes, what kind of assumptions was going mm. through her mind. One of the most degrading and horrifying looks I've gotten. <laughs> someone um but i had to see her to be able to for her to write the prescription so he can pay for the pill and um he purchased it we went straight back um home and mind you at the time um i guess i don't live in the cayman islands anymore so um i lived at residence hall um the one right on west bay road um right mm -hmm. beside the saint matthews residence hall so right. he knew i lived there knew I was a student of said university mm -hmm. um so he took me right back there he didn't know he's again mind you he we barely had any in-person or over the phone communication very sparsely so he knew I lived in residence hall but a lot of the students lived in our resident residence hall so mm -hmm. it's not like a surprising thing but he definitely did not know what units inside of that residence right. hall I so yeah. he dropped me off and he was can I just can I just pause you for a second I want to ask you because one of the things that um, really stood out about your testimony like how you described his house and what happened there with the second assault um you said that you felt like a cockroach oh my god that was the visual for me first of all I'm afraid of roaches <laughs> but for me cockroaches are like the most disgusting and vile thing that they're ugly looking they're they're dirty they're you know, I think that analogy and for you to describe it in that way was like, wow. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about how nasty the bathroom was. There wasn't a yeah. clean towel for you to even mm -hmm. wipe with like nothing. Oh nothing. my God. Like it's, it's layers upon layers of just, I don't, I yeah. don't even know. Yeah, I, I definitely felt like a vermin, a roach, um, in so many in so many ways, physically, mentally, emotionally, environmentally. Um, his own bedroom. I didn't talk about the bed the bedroom was disgusting. It was um Yeah, you talked about old. dirty sheets and yeah. quite 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 terrible living conditions, um, especially if he had children living with him, but that's a whole nother um conversation um 
So we arrive back at the residence hall. So he drops me. And again, he, I think in his mind, the once the plan, I had the plan B, I'm going to take it. You know what? It's all good. I remember when I was actually getting out of the car and I don't remember if I mentioned this in the police interview or um, during trial, but I remember him like smacking my ass or my, oh, sorry, I don't know, my butt. <laughs> um, this was, um, this I, was, when was this? As soon as like he parked at the residence hall, I'm proceeding to get out of the oh vehicle. Oh my God. Yeah. And then walk into the building. And as I'm like, you know, putting one leg out and mind you now I'm, my phone is dead. So yeah. it's useless. <laughs> so I'm oh in the car, God. but I have like, my dead phone in my hand. I'm getting in the car. I'm like, you know, like trying to be like, go. And he smacks me on my behind. Um, as I exited, so it's still vehicle. it's still it's so obvious. I mean, he he never admits to any of this, but his level of denial of what he has done, e even after and this is typical narcissistic behavior, right? But mm -hmm. even after he's saying things to you like, "Oh, don't make me feel like a monster," da 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 da, you mean to tell me that when you're getting out of the car, this guy has the audacity to slap you on your ass, like? Mm -hmm what the hell yeah he oh really God. thought that, um he really thought that this was the i think in his mind the only minor inconvenience and in what happened is that oh i had to get her um emergency contraceptives mm, mm, mm. but everything else was just you know i guess oh sorry about that um that's okay um just normal i don't know i guess just a normal sexual interaction for him um so i get in i scurry in and i remember just as soon as i close the door i'm inside my residence hall at this point um i just i broke down i couldn't oh i couldn't even describe the words the type of mental states i was in and the first thought in my mind was i just need to take a like take a long the longest the hottest most scrubbed mm -hmm. shower i've ever taken in my life and i remember just like i probably took like five or six showers in that 24 hours that i could not get his him off of me from his smell. even mm -hmm. till today if i smell that i know that's him like it felt like he was in my in my pores as disgusting as that sounds but like for oh up to a week after I would just be like it was entrenched into my skin trying to scrub 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 and then um I believe within the first two or three hour period of after I arrived back home I called um my friends and all my the first people I contacted did not live in the Cayman Islands they were you mm -hmm. know back home in Canada or in other Caribbean um countries and I contacted them and I told them what had happened and they were amazing support. Even one of my good friends, she's like a sister to me. One of the, one of the, I even, I either contacted her first or second, I forgot in the sequence and she was able mm -hmm. to appear in court um, for, to testify and all of that. And as a witness, mm -hmm. um, and then over that weekend, so now- And, and, so and let me just, let me just, I want to highlight this because I think this is important. So mm -hmm. for people who said, oh, why did she wait to talk to the police? And even his defense is, oh, you know, you wanted him to pay for an abortion and blah, blah, blah. 
none of that could be true because you had witnesses that could come to court and say that after this happened, within hours of this assault happening, of her being raped twice, not once, but twice, she contacted people that she trusted and told them what had happened to her. You know, and I guess maybe he wasn't counting on the fact that you had done that. He was counting on the fact that maybe, like a lot of victims do, you tell no one. And there's nothing wrong with victims who tell no one, believe me, because they're trying yeah. to work out in their head they're even trying to accept and understand what just happened to them. But that mm -hmm. wasn't the case here. This was a woman who appreciated immediately that she had been raped. As you guys can see, she's a smart young lady. She was a medical student. You know, it, it dawned on her, although she might have been suffering with, with some degree of dissociative disorder, it still dawned on her that she had been raped. And she expressed that to people as well. Yeah. Yeah, I started expressing it like again, yeah, within a couple of hours after I, you know, brought myself to a point that I can at least pick up a phone and even if it's like one or two words and, you know, have some kind of conversation with somebody or express myself or emote myself. And that way I told two of my really good friends right away. And we have text message and we have, um, well, the phone calls, but we have at least the text message exchange, but we had extensive phone calls. I had told um, an ex-boyfriend the next day um, mm -hmm. and on Monday or Tuesday. So, cause this happened Friday to Saturday and mind you, another thing I would add the four girls that I went out with um, the whole weekend went and none of them checked on me. I could have been back in Canada, you know, in my room or in the bottom of the ocean floor, none of them checked up on me and say, oh, did you even make it home? Or, you know, none of them, none of them even checked up on me. I did not even have any any of those ladies until Monday when I saw them in school. And because they had shown me the kind of people they are, I did not feel comfortable, obviously, telling them my, oh my God. ordeal of the weekend. So Monday, yeah. Tuesday, now and um the next person which is um very interesting i'm going to talk about this with tact um because in mm -hmm. regards to the school um, i attended um while i was mm -hmm. in the cayman island so i disclosed it to our school psychologist um the first professional i talked to and this is monday as tuesday as soon as i got back mm -hmm. in classes when i can go i i i went to talk to her and i went into her office could bear so choked I could barely talk and then we I told her everything so she was actually the first professional that I had um spoken to about it and because she is a psychologist she has to keep her case notes and her case consult so there mm -hmm. was documentation um mm -hmm. as early as I guess like I guess 48 to 72 hours after the incident um about my experience so she had been um I really, and um, it, this is not on her because I think certain comments I might make later on, this is not on her. I believe she's, if she's listening, I don't know if she's still in the Cayman Islands or working there. This is not on you. Um, I guess she was bound by higher ups, um, but I'll bring that mm -hmm. up later. But she was the first professional I went to. Um, so we talked about it. I would see her pretty much every single day um, mm -hmm. post these office she'll check up on me via email I'll come to her office and do checkups so she's a, 
a, a registered psychologist. So she's obviously definitely well-versed. She's a school counselor. She's the only school counselor we had um, at that time. Um, so she also got me, um, you know, she was just being a great person. And then um, I forgot what had happened, but I think a week or two went by um, just trying to process mm -hmm. the trauma around the assault that had happened. I was so afraid to leave my room. Um, so afraid, because mind you, this person knows where I live, where I go to school, and I do mm -hmm. most of my activities within a like, probably not even like a two mile radius. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I go to the Kirks right there, the Fosters there. Like I, and also I don't have a car. So I have, rarely do I leave this, mm -hmm. how many mile radius. Um, to do anything so he knows enough about me that I was very concerned and very worried that like what if he pops up again so I stayed mostly confined to my room and doing what I can mm -hmm. um at that point I was just was trying to sleep it all away the depression I would have night terror night terrors continuously wake up crying mm -hmm. go to bed crying um to the point that I couldn't physically just get up for bed and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I'm just, you know, trying to do the best I can with what I got. And mm -hmm. about later, um, I missed my period. Um, and I was like, okay. At first I was like, you know, I took a emergency contraceptive. One of the side effects is like, it'll throw off your menstrual cycle. So let me mm -hmm. give it some time. Mm -hmm. Because also another thing, I took the emergency contraceptive way within the recommended time frame. Literally, as soon as I got into my room, I popped the pill and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did not wait. <laughs> I did not hesitate to take that. Um, so I was like, mm -hmm. okay, my menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And then a um, couple of days, more days went by. I was like, okay, let me go and buy a pregnancy test or two pregnancy tests just to rule out, you know, my period is just late. Mm-hmm. And they both came back very positive. Um, <laughs> um, that was I. That was the first time in my life I've ever remember fainting. And oh my I god! Luckily, sorry about him. Yeah, that's okay. Um, <laughs> can I can I just say, um, your dog is. So beautiful. He reminds me of my Coco, which I lost tragically. Looks like the exact same dog. And it's so funny because I've been watching him. She would do that all the time. Like he's sleeping on his back at one point. He's been rolling around very comfortably there the whole time. He's so cute. But yeah. Oh, I'm sorry about Coco. No, that's okay. I feel like it's it's kind of weird that your dog looks just like Coco and you're talking about such a tragic thing that has happened to you, which you know, um, lots of comments coming in. We'll read some of those in a minute about just how incredibly brave um, you are for sharing this story. But my God, you said you fainted. Like you were in such a state of shock. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, 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 it, 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 uh, I'm so, I'm even like struggling to grasp with the words. Um, yeah, I was in such a state of shock because um, I took the first pregnancy test and I know pregnancy tests are 99%. You can't get a false negative or false positive, mm. sorry, with a pregnancy test. So I was like, no, it's a faulty. I didn't pee on this thing, right? You know, you're trying to create rationale in your head. Mm -hmm. And I did the second mm -hmm. one. And then I remember I just, when the second one came fully positive, I collapsed. I came to, so this was the middle of the weekday. 
And mm. I had, I took my pregnancy test, hopped on a bus, took it down West Bay Road, arrived at the school, marched into my, with my pregnancy test in hand, and I put it on her desk. And I just, I, I don't think I could, I, I could, I could find, sorry. That's I okay. Think I could, That's okay. Um, find the words. Um, I couldn't find the words um, just to, um, um, just to describe. Um, oh my God. Uh, I couldn't okay. find the words. Um, I couldn't find the words. Um, and I forgot to mention earlier, I had um, what we call it an OSCE exam, which is like a clinical exam where you practice being a doctor and you have a patient that's a student and then you have a proctor and then you have, you know, you, you're practicing your doctor skills. Let's just put it like that. And I remember mm -hmm. I had it before and I disclosed to um, my professor who ended up being the family doctor that I went to after finding out that I was pregnant, pregnant, who also being, ended up being the family doctor that testified um, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. me. Um, that um yeah I had a breakdown I couldn't I couldn't take the test I I I I and she had to pull me aside and we had a conversation in her office and I had to tell her that like I'm so sorry I I, I can't I can't think I can barely breathe um this is mm -hmm. you know what it happened and um so fast forward um the last thing I think anybody expected definitely me was mm -hmm. to be pregnant well, my school counselor um, took me straight to that doctor's um, office because she also has mm -hmm. a physical office. And um, there was no more like confirmation that needed to happen because the pregnancy test was was it. And so she just provided me amazing emotional support. And that's when we started calling um, clinics back in Canada because this is another thing that came up during the trial. Abortion is mm -hmm. legal and it's free, it's covered in our healthcare in Canada. So we called, she was calling clinics for me back in my home city um, to arrange um, the date of um, the termination, the abortion. Mm -hmm. um, so, but that was still a couple of weeks out. So I knew I was gonna go home during that period. My my plane tickets were already bought all, by my parents. Let me specify now had you that. Had you told your parents? What had happened um, to at, you? Not at right. that point, because I had, after that um, OSCE exam, I had like probably three other exams, board exams we had to take at the end of semester. So I still had another two weeks more of school, which were all back to back <laughs> board exams. And I couldn't, I just, I said, let me just make it through the term mm -hmm. the best way I can. Um, so I had not told them at to that point. So they already bought my plane ticket because I was just, scheduled to come home mm -hmm. at that time and another thing that came up in the case I had blocked um this person's number his number mm -hmm. as soon as I got out of that as soon as I charged my cell phone as mm -hmm. I went out, that number was blocked mm -hmm. upon the revelation that I was pregnant I unblocked his number and I I, I believe I texted him first that I'm pregnant and people were like, why would you tell him? I didn't want his approval or anything like that. I was like, this is what you, you, you already did so much to damage me already, but now you want to kill me. Like, mm. 
I just, I don't know. I wanted to, I just wanted to scream. So I blocked him to um, tell him that we had a phone conversation. Basically it's me just, just, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even think I was just so beside myself. And then I, um, then he, we got off the phone conversation. I texted him and said, no matter what I choose to do with this child, you will never, ever, ever, ever be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, to that point, I'm, I didn't tell him I was going to get an abortion or not. I didn't tell mm-hmm. him what steps were. I said, whatever I choose to do with yeah. this, you're not going to ever have any um, contact with me or this mm-hmm. child. And mm-hmm. I prayed that you never bring as much pain as you did to me to any other person. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other person, any other woman ever again. And that was the last time I had any conversation or contact with him. And I, now I know I was pregnant. I think at that point I was six weeks and probably like four or five days um, when the pregnancy was confirmed. Um, And then I had another two weeks of just exams. I went to my school, mind you, my school counselor knows, my professor knows. Now I have to go and tell all the rest of my professors. Um, Oh my God. Oh yeah, it's it's mortifying. Um, The dean knows. Um, So Mm. because I had, because I was all day sickness, um, I think it was so many things I couldn't like, I every time I felt like I was going to throw up during my exams, I had to sit close to the bathrooms and not ask permission. So just in case I need to run out, we're not allowed like um, beverages in the exam hall. I need to have like a ginger ale next to me. And also another <sighs> thing that was happening because of the plan or the morning contraception I took, um, the doctor hypothesized that maybe I, the implantation was weak and I could be at a higher risk to have a miscarriage. And I remember just getting these radiating mm. pelvic pain. I was like, I'll be in class. I'll be like, I really hope I don't have a miscarriage right now. Oh my now. God. Oh like, my God. I hope miscarriage. And even another thing, I'm international. Um, I had travel insurance, but to go to the hospital, <laughs> get all the things that I need, God forbid, if I had a miscarriage, like that's, I don't know if my travel <laughs> insurance <laughs> covers all of that. So I'm also thinking financially, like this is not... <laughs> like I'm thinking a lot of things um Mm. so in my exams could barely walk barely talk I wasn't eating I couldn't did what I could could in my exams all of that kind of stuff and um my next party was like I'm going home um it was time for me to um head on my head on the plane and go back home um to obviously see my family and also Mm. to have the abortion um, I remember because um, my flight plan was came in Miami, Miami, Houston, Houston, my final destination. I'm not going to say what city. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember in the Miami airport, my pelvic pain was so radiant. And I was like, OK, I just need to get on this plane. And then the plane was having some like technical, functional difficulties. So we're on the tarmac and then my just getting kept mm-hmm. getting worse. I had to tell the flight attendants like this is what's happening. I feel like I never felt that level of cramping and we're already now 30,000 feet in the air. I was like, I think I might have um, a miscarriage. So having to now alert people that oh like God. have a medical emergency <laughs> and then everybody has to land the plane. It was a very mortifying experience. Um, mm. Got home. Oh my God. And yeah. And and let me just, let me just back up a little bit. Um, 
in addition to all this horrific stuff happening, you were feeling suicidal as well. Um, You were suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. your support team in Cayman, the physicians had given you, is it like an antidepressant? What were they medicating you with? Yeah. Um, so anti-anxiety medication and um, antidepressants um, was, was was prescribed to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> to get through that time, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I would become so either so numb that I couldn't physically do anything or so emotionally unstable that I would try try to harm myself um, in various um, capacities. Um, Yeah. So Mm -hmm. um, psychologically, it was very, it was very Mm -hmm. difficult. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm very sorry that this happened to you. I mean, it's... It's hard, it's hard to hear. And um, I think a lot of us are feeling very emotional hearing this story, but I think it's something that uh, it's a necessary evil because I think part of the issue for me is the discourse that we have in this community and the rape culture and the acceptance of these individuals at the level that we accept them is in part because we haven't ever sat down and spoken to a rape victim. Most yeah. of you have never, if you've not experienced it yourself, you've never taken the time to ask someone what they went through to give you a real appreciation for the physical trauma, the emotional and psychological trauma, and just everything that comes with it. It's easy for us to sit back and judge rape victims or why was she drinking and why was she doing this and whatever. And then when you hear the story, you know, for me, it gives you a level of understanding and appreciation that you don't get from any other way. You don't get it from reading the CMR stories because most of you don't even read past the first paragraph, right? You don't get it from me being in the comment section, trying to make points and argue with you but I'm hoping that you guys are really listening today to this young lady and you're understanding um, with both your hearts and your minds exactly what it is that she went through. I mean, this is, this is so much. I mean, from not just the sexual assault and being raped, but then to become pregnant by your rapist. Was there ever a thought in your mind about potentially keeping that child? Or were you from day one, like, absolutely not. Oh, that went through my mind at first. Like my first reaction when I went to the doctor's office was like, I need to get rid of this. And then as the weeks went by and, you know, the hormones <laughs> kicked in, I was like, maybe I can imagine a life or possibility of having this baby and providing this child my best and doing the best what I for is what I can for this this right. child. So yeah, it was when I walked into the um, abortion center in Canada. That was <laughs> they could have rolled me in on a wheelbarrow at that point. It was the, the 
I think I was making that decision until they wheeled me into the surgical centers to undergo it. Um, but it, I felt, I felt connected. I felt that obviously Mm. this baby didn't have to suffer because of this. And, and I, my ultimate decision that it was, it's unfair if you have the choice or Mm. the ability. And again, everybody can navigate this however they want to. I'm not shaming or blaming people who choose to have, or who wants to continue, um, the pregnancy after they have been, um, raped. Um, but for me, I didn't think it would be fair to myself and that baby because I won't be able to provide the best or be the best mom. And I would, I always think to myself, like, God forbid if this kid comes out looking like him. (laughs) Oh my God. Right. Oh my God. Yes. And I just, I I have to still practice forgiveness because I've always been pro-choice. I've never not been pro-choice, but when, you know, it's inside of you and you're faced with all the possibilities of it and hormones, maternal instinct. You're like, oh, you know, this is a, you know, an innocent baby that didn't deserve this. You start to think like, am I actually making the best choice? And even till today, forgive myself. Um, I think part of me will always feel like, yep, that, um, yeah yeah I could never just fully even though I'm pro-choice I will always be forever pro-choice but for me personally it will always be something in my life um that will come up um yeah yeah it's not something you wanted to do and you struggled with the decision yeah um I struggled with the decision um it was the best decision for me but it was a hard decision um, to make. And even now I still get flashbacks of being in, they put me on so many medications. I was out, but I remember I was awake. I was awake, but I don't like feel the pain. I was on fentanyl, morphine, all these kind of things to undergo the termination. But I remember the blinding lights of the surgical room or the room that it happened. And I remember it's a center. So they have a bunch of girls lined up that are coming in for abortion. I remember just how sterile it was seeing girls like crying inconsolable you know the nurses the lights of you know being in a bedroom and being wheeled in you're the next one to you know it it felt very it wasn't a comfort it, it was a comfortable environment they make it as comfortable as they can but it was still a very it's a clinical environment it was still very sterile and cold and I felt like you know just seeing women lined up about to be wheeled in and we're all coming in for the same reason even though we all have different stories of why mm-hmm. we're here it's, mm-hmm. it's very hard to imagine right <sighs> yeah wow <sighs> yeah um <sighs> yeah so um you have the abortion you told your parents before this point you know, or after so after, so, cause I was like, um, I come from a, my back, I'm, my background is African and there's a lot of culture, yes. especially around like excellence and schooling. And, you know, there's so many sacrifices yeah. that my parents have made, not only as immigrants for their children, but being able to, for me to go to medical school, it wasn't only getting, um, 
mm-hmm. government student loans and my parents have put a lot of like oh like tens of thousands of dollars of their own personal mm-hmm. money for me to be able to do this mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. I didn't want to disappoint them I didn't want them to feel like they shouldn't have you know like like I didn't want to disappoint them so actually I didn't let my parents know until ha- after I remember this was actually the day after I got the termination my friend had taken me to the center and dropped me off I was so, under so many medications that you know when I got back home all I could do was just sleep and then I remember waking up the next day and I was just like this actually happened like I'm so, you know, and all of that kind of stuff from the procedure. Still have like my little diaper on. <laughs> and I remember me and my mom, we were having like just like a petty mom and daughter disagreement. And I remember just like it escalating and escalating. And I just broke down and just told her everything um, right there. And then just let it all because I couldn't I couldn't hold it anymore. Uh in any longer the day before I had um, the termination and I just told her everything at once right there and then Um, and she and my mom is my mom is my angel she never shamed me she never blamed me she even told me that I wish you told me right after it happened because I wanted to be with you and hold your hand as you went through the termination and I thought because we come from a very Christian background, my grandparents are deacon and deaconess that, you know, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get the full blunt of, you know, you're a murderer, you know, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. And my mom said, I wish I could have been there and take you there and held you as you went through. Mm. Um, 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 this procedure, um, and she has mm-hmm. been outside and my my rest of my family have been by my side since then. But I remember just being so scared, just so scared of disappointing them, scared of being an idiot. Like, why did I go out? I was raised better. I was raised better than this. I don't, my parents don't deserve this. They don't deserve to, you know, I don't want to see them hurt. I don't want to see them disappointed. I want to be the best daughter that I can for them. They've mm-hmm. been so me in so many ways. This is the least I, I can't. And so I thought that I could just go. I was like, oh, you know, maybe in my 50s, you know, I will tell my mom or my, you know, when, you know, when everything is settled, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. yeah, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't hold it in. <laughs> and, um, Oh God! Um, and it, and it's so good that you've had um, that you had that support because unfortunately, a lot of victims don't. Um, as you say, cultural things, you know, religious people might have said all sorts of stuff to you about the abortion and this and that. So I think that that's amazing that you had such a supportive mother who, without question, was there for you first and foremost as her daughter. Um, yes. It's just, I mean, it's just. It's so emotional and, you know, it's, it's like you're carrying all of this hurt and shame and all these very complex feelings about everything, about the decision to abort the child about, I mean, it's just so much. And, you know, what I always found egregious is Renata was out there living his best life. He probably didn't even give you a second thought 
you know, it's just, I know you'd blocked him on WhatsApp, but this isn't someone who cared. And in fact, he said to people that he does this kind of thing all the time. And the first time he does it to a black girl, he ends up in court and charged mm -hmm. with rape. And so I have to question and wonder how many other victims are out there um, that we will probably never even know about. Yeah. To me, that's, it's hard to stomach what he did to you, but to imagine that he's actually done this to God knows, he said all the time. So I don't know how many people that could possibly be yeah. is, um, is really, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Un unbelievable. Mm -hmm. <sighs> um, I guess in the timeline of events, uh, came home, um, had the termination, um, um, I started counseling here. Um, funny enough, I'm not going to disclose where I work um, in Canada, but mm -hmm. one of my first counselor or first counseling programs that I went to is actually where I work for now. So it's kind of like um, the agency that I work for um, now. Um, mm. But um, so come back because now it's a new semester so i'm back in the cayman islands mm -hmm. so now so at that the, point you were still trying to you were still trying to continue with school you were yes and i'm gonna be very transparent my mom told me you need to take a semester off school counselor told me you need to rest take a semester off but my kind of mm -hmm. stubborn mind i was like he took away this this but he cannot take away my uh, my future my education i'm gonna prove despite all of this, mm -hmm. I can be, I am still somebody. I'm not saying that the only way to be somebody yeah. is to be a doctor. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's something, a goal that I've worked through my entire life. You, you can't mm. take that away from me. And also one of my goals, even before this happened, is I've always wanted to be, or I wanted to be an OBGYN and specifically mm. um, in, uh, minority health advocacy and education, especially with, you know, Black mm. people. We know about like, you know, things that happen with their reproductive health and, you know, different um, culturals and societal mm -hmm. factors, how it impacts Black women and Black children, particularly different. So that was always my goal, even before mm -hmm. all that happens, so even more of a driver so I can actually help mm -hmm. people in a tangible mm -hmm. um, way. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, despite all the that, you know, I was being hardheaded. I thought I could, you know... I, I thought mm -hmm. it was like, you know, abortion, I'm in counseling. You know what? It's going to be a hard road, but I can do this. But mm -hmm. whew, we are nothing but flesh and blood at the end of the day. <laughs> and mm -hmm. started to just, again, further implode. Um, I have now began um, the court stuff. So um, actually, mm -hmm. I didn't go to the Cayman Island Police. Uh, my school counselor um, actually liaised me with the folks at the Red Cross, the Cayman Island Red Cross. And then they took me into the family victims support unit um, to make the police report directly um, with one of the detectives there. So I didn't walk into the police station. I don't think I had that level of bravado <laughs> to do all of that. That's mm -hmm. a very daunting process. But now I had started the police process back in school full time. Um, now I'm also in counseling on the island twice a week, every week, because of just how the nature of it, I have to be very mm -hmm. intense 
counseling. Um, so I was trying to balance all of that, you know, going to the police station, you know, doing my due diligence and whatever I have to do on that end, making sure I'm going to my counseling appointment because I couldn't function and trying to survive medical school. <laughs> Um, so, um, at, for the beginning, I had the full support of my school after I made the report, they even allowed the detectives to come to, um, the campus or the university. They gave us boardrooms so we can have meetings, checked up on me, all of that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. at a point, I believe this is around February or January, 2019. So now we're in 2019. They're providing me support, all of that kind of stuff. I'm thinking, oh, you know, they're part of my case. And I get um, email from the school counselor at that school. And mm -hmm. this counselor told me that whatever higher ups told her, she can have no involvement with this case anymore, including releasing my case notes. Yeah. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> She, she's a professional counselor. Yeah, but she's also an employee at St. Matthew's University. I'm going to just name them and shame them this morning. So they told her that as a counselor, and she was acting in that capacity for you, she couldn't yeah. even provide case notes to the police? Yeah. And mind you, she was the first professional I disclosed oh to in this process. And do people understand how detrimental that could even be to a case? Because you spoke to yeah. her within days of this happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And continuously, like either every day oh, or every other day. My having, God. You See, know, it's, it's, and it's, it's systematic things like this that really piss me off, to be honest. Why would they have such a policy? That's just stupid. It really came out of left field. I was shocked. The detective I had at that time, we had conversations. They were shocked. They oh didn't know where my case was going to go after this because that was such a, you know, you know, major That's important. Yes, and they absolutely. said, oh, oh my God, like their hands, basically they wiped their hands of me um, completely um, to the point they said, she oh can't speak God. to St. Matthews. I'm so disappointed. I think um, they didn't want the bad PR. Um, if I was going to get well, they're getting coffee. bad PR now. Hello, like seriously? I guess I'll say all the alleged pleas. Um, but I don't think they wanted the bad PR because I guess they saw where this case was going and they didn't want. It, again, this didn't happen on school um, campus. It didn't happen at the residence hall. It didn't happen with a student. It didn't happen with a staff member. It didn't happen with the professor. Nothing around St. Matthews other than that I was a student that went to that school. That was the only oh, involvement of St. Matthews um, in that. So I'm going to say mm -hmm. allegedly, you know, this, you know, all that, you know, all of that. But yeah, they essentially wiped their hands clean on me and said they're no longer going to be involved in my case. And I believe, no definite proof, but I strongly believe when it was time, because my grades were, my, my grades were slipping. Mm -hmm. Like... <laughs> My grades were skipping, and when it was time to, you know, for me to go on the chopping block, it was that much easier for pack your bags, go back to Canada, and good luck with whatever comes of this, you know, whatever. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, that's that, that to me is, I mean, you, you expect support from institutions and you know whether it's the police or hospital professionals doctors and um somehow I missed that did that come up in the evidence because I did not hear I guess it didn't come up because she it did not come wouldn't up. have testified um, 
Oh my God. Yeah, it did not come up because, again, they refused to have any involvement. And this was their involvement stopped in probably by by February. Yeah, February 2019. It stopped. I left the island in May 2019. So finished whatever is left the semester, um, packed my bags. I actually came back to Canada, came back again to the Cayman Islands, took all my stuff, came home again. Um, didn't hear anything from the school again. Um, the detective at the time, it just, everything just fell on deaf ears. It just, I was like, okay, I guess I tried what I could. Mm -hmm. At least, you know, they tell you to do due diligence. I put my best foot forward. Let me try to put the pieces back of my life together and not have the expectation that mm. anything will, there's any kind of reconciliation, whether it be with the school I attended or the police or him, this is my cross to bear for the rest of my life. And I just have to start putting the pieces of the bits of pieces that I can back together of my life. And mm. <laughs> you see, um, yeah, I mean, I'm even thinking like legislatively, we're talking about old sexual harassment legislation. Our MPs need to be listening this morning because there should be no way. In fact, I am sure that that goes against the current law, but it's in the Children's Act. So probably for you as an adult, it doesn't help you because there is mandatory reporting in the Children's Act for sexual um, victims, but that should be across the board. You know, um, there should be a comp compulsion on her as a professional to provide clinical notes, provide whatever evidence she has to the police. Like that shouldn't be optional for her employer to say, no, you can't do this. I, I am so oh, pissed off by that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it was definitely insult upon injury. And just to clarify, I believe that counselor, in case she's listening or she gets wind of this, that she did the best she could for me. But again, um, I'm going to say allegedly um, they were threatening her with their, they were threatening her with things like her appointment, all of that kind of stuff. They came down hard on her and she was, when she had to deliver that news to me, she was so remorseful and so disappointed and so hurt that she can't help me past this point. Cause now it's her, her livelihood is now on the line. And this was coming from, I believe higher ups. Um, so, so I was crushed on all levels. <laughs> um, I was crushed on all levels, but I packed my bag, came back home. And I said, and I guess lucky or unlucky for me, because, oh, well, actually it, it worked in my advantage. Um, this was May. Um, I actually got readmitted to another medical school. And then I had to have a serious conversation with myself. I said, I, I feel like one one hundredth of a person. I cannot invest this much more money and all this much more time and resourcing to just break. I have to invest in myself again. So I decided it was a hard decision to completely just take myself for the foreseeable future out of the prospects of pursuing medicine to get myself together because it's I like for example I have a six-figure student loan <laughs> that I have it's not mm. cheap <laughs> and not only just the economic cost of it but the being in med school it's a whole mental battle you're very isolated mm. you know there's not a lot of time for you so I had to make a I had to make a judgment call 
and say, mm-hmm. I'm going to step back. Um, so I started putting back the pieces of my life together. Pandemic mm-hmm. happens. It worked a little bit in my favor. Life really slowed mm-hmm. down. For me, it's not a good thing globally, but for me, it allowed me to really think. And I was, again, still in counseling, still in therapy. And um, what started me on the trajectory? Oh, actually, and also in this time, I get an email for a detective from the Cayman Islands. So now this is 2020. I'm trying to remember where I was. 2020. Yeah, 2020, June 2020 now. I get, so mm-hmm. this is now like almost a year, over a year after I feel like everything has gone cold. That's it. I get an email from a detective and they're like, are you still interested in pursuing this case or being involved in um, mm. this case? And I said, yeah. I, and I didn't ask the reason why. I, I assumed it was because of the school thing. I don't know what ha- was happening or a lot of sexual um, assault cases, people just get left behind. So I always thought, okay, did, I just got forgotten in the system. <laughs> Um, so I was like, kind of chopped it off to that, but then they said, do you want to, you know, reopen this thing and be part of it again? And I said, yes. And then, um, started back on the path of this case. Um, and what began my advocacy was outside of my personal experience. I remember when the R. Kelly documentary mm-hmm. first came out, um, that was ooh, like maybe like five or six months after my assault happened um Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have been watching it was very triggering um but I watched it and what stood out to me the most was how much people knew for 30 because it it was even Mm -hmm. before he was going to Mm -hmm. high school Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. trying to solicit teenage girls so people have known for decades and people not only know actively gone on their way to protect him or facilitate Mm-hmm. assaults for him te- teenagers so i was like it was i knew this was a thing but i didn't know mm-hmm. how much people go out their way to actively protect predators it was beyond red flags oh, at that moment yeah <laughs> it was like oh maybe yep. he could do you you're helping him facilitate yeah <laughs> and can can i tell you um i actually um like I said, we don't know each other, but I hosted um, a viewing of that documentary. At the time, I had an office in Pasadena Place um, there on Smith Road. And I invited people to come and watch it together. And I hosted a viewing. And I remember people came, um, Isadora, Miss um, Marva, a few people, mostly women. I can't remember if there were any men there. I think it might have been all women that came together and watch this together. We just had some snacks and then we talked about it afterwards. And so many women have had different experiences of sexual assaults or harassment, or, you know, there's always something that you find the majority of women um, in particular, but even men can relate to that has happened to them. So sometimes it's not like a rape, but it's unwanted touching. It's, you know, there's just a lot. And I remember that we hosted, um, we hosted that and at the time, and this is just, this shows you how individually we're all doing our own stuff in life, but in so many respects, we're like connected and we don't even know it. Right. So I too was shocked at what I learned from that documentary. I couldn't believe how many enablers he had active participants 
active enablers who were getting the girls for him, like you said, going to high schools, recruiting the girls. And then you still had people in the com- in the comment section, in the narrative, well, what about their parents? And why wasn't some of these girls wanted something from him? And it is just so shocking. And so ironically, after watching that documentary, I was motivated to do a what, what was the name of the documentary again? It was, it was the, oh God, hold on. I'm going to look it up. Cause then I did a similar documentary featuring a man here in the Cayman Islands who's very prolific. Um, all right, Kelly, let me see. It was called, um, oh Lord, Surviving R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. So I, I did a surviving I can't say his name because of legal proceedings, which I'm now getting ready to challenge that whole Mm. court case. Right. And I did an expose on him because he is prolific. He's out Mm. there sending messages to women in our community. I'll give you a thousand dollars. You show me your breasts. He's going after underage girls. I had parents come forward. Oh, he, he wanted to offer me money to have access to my teenage daughter like all this stuff. And people in the community knows this. This is somebody who's running for public office who wants your vote and your support. And yet Mm -hmm. he has a long laundry list of women who have said he has done these things to me. They've messaged Mm -hmm. me. Some of them out of desperation had sexual relations with him because they were desperate for money to pay their bills or whatever. This is a vile and disgusting person. We have so many of them here on this island to be very, very clear right? Who've gotten away with it. You guys know who they are. They're community members. We can't get a sex offenders registry on this island. And so I was so pissed off about that, that I did this documentary that landed me in court with charges for harassing him. And I get convicted by a judge for harassment of this man. Well, why would you call him a pedophile? And all this kind of stuff is what the judge, I mean, I had really horrible counsel, to be honest. But I'm saying to the judge, because everybody in the community knows him to be that and sees him that way. And I'm just the only one who is either stupid or brave enough to just put this out there to try to warn people. Because I live in a country where no one that can do it, aka our politicians, put Mm -hmm. a sex offender registry in place. No one has gone after him. The police have never gone after Mm -hmm. this guy and tried to even sought a conviction. You know, so it angers me on behalf of every single victim out there that we still are playing dollhouse with this topic, you know? Mm. And of course, yeah, I'm the one who gets convicted of harassing him with the truth. I'm like, what mm. the f-? like I can't, I can't, I couldn't even fathom, you know, like I said, I'm going to appeal it. I made up my mind that I'm definitely um, going to appeal it. And some people are like, who did you go to court for? People don't even remember. It's so funny. People don't even remember what really went down, but you know, he, he was the one who was sitting in court pretending to be the victim and about, oh, he's fat because of me. And he has high blood pressure issues because I was exposing him in this community. We, we, are, we are on another level in this country, folks, when it comes to the compliance, whether it is blindly, we just put on blinders or whether it is a willful compliance like St. Matthew's. I'm going to call St. Matthew's name today, girl. And I'm going to call down everything (laughs) in the heavens on them because that was wrong what they did. You know, your, your entire case, thankfully it didn't, but it could have hinged on her 
providing her clinical notes in a court of law and being supportive of you. And thank God this wasn't a jury trial, I must tell you, because sometimes juries are very flip-floppy, right? But I think yeah. the judge was still able to see through all of his lies and his consistencies. And it was a good thing that you didn't have this additional piece of evidence. Because of course, the defense gets up there, well, why did you wait so long? And why was this only a case like years later? I mean, they try to paint this narrative as though you didn't tell anybody. You didn't do anything. You didn't do your part. And let me be very clear, even if she didn't, because a lot of rape victims are not able to do yeah. that for months, for years. Some people never can come forward. Yeah. You know, that doesn't mean that they weren't raped. That doesn't mean that they weren't sexually assaulted. Yeah. So I'm, that's one of the most egregious things I've heard today. I mean, the whole thing is egregious to me, but I can't believe yeah. they're professional. You see, if that was me and I were her, I would have given the finger to St. Matthew's and said, go ahead and fire me, but I'm going to do my part to support this victim. And I'm not trying to shame her in any way. Cause I think you said yeah. that, you know, she was supportive for you and whatever, but there are times when as women and as people in this community in whatever community you live in, you've got to be prepared to take a stand for other people. Yeah. 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 You got to be prepared yeah. to go on the, on the airwaves on the line and say, everybody knows this man is a predator and now I'm calling him out. And yeah, I'm the one who ends up in court, but that was okay. Cause now y'all know who he is. Yes. Right. And so I feel like I would have made a different decision if I were her, but again, we can say that cause I wasn't her, I suppose at the end of the day. And I don't know what her personal circumstances are. She's probably here in a work permit, probably moved her entire <laughs> life. And yeah. as most people here on a work permit, you feel like, you know, you have very few choices of your own that you can make without your employer being ready to fire you kind of thing. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. And even with the work I do and even various universities I've encountered, even universities in Canada, this is a common theme, like covering up rapes, um, mm -hmm. missing students, what like it, it's like one of my mentors, she had a very public um, rape trial in Canada um, and you know, her, the university she went to had the, and this is a very esteemed university in Canada. They did the exact same thing, right? They try to mm -hmm. kick her out, silence her, just like get out of our periphery. We don't want you bringing oh this. Mm -hmm. And it happens all the time. And you, yeah. you know, it, this is just the culture and the system yeah. that we have. Again, what and makes they, it they, so they hard try to, to, they try to cover up a lot. Um, it's just, it's shocking and unbelievable. Wow. Somebody just mentioned that I need to watch. We have to talk about Cosby. Um, yeah. There's there's so much of it that happens. And, and especially in, in our cultures, African-Americans, uh, people who African, from, you know, Afrocentric, Afro-Caribbean, whatever we're calling ourselves these days, Black people, whatever, is a politically correct term. I think we are still, um, there's an overall rape culture that hurts all rape victims, but specific to our culture, we are still very much in this mindset of not being able to help rape victims and um, just ignoring them. And, and, I, and I have to wonder if the narrative would have been different if you were Caucasian from the school's perspective, if they would have been more willing to help you. Now, I know for a fact that a lot of, because um, I have a, a friend, uh, she's since moved overseas, but her father was connected as one of the administrators to the school for many, many years. And I mean, he left a long time ago, but 
you know, one of the things that was going on um, at the school is that police officers were actually targeting. Now, y'all listen, y'all listen very, very closely to this, okay? Police officers were targeting St. Matthew students, female students, stopping them on West Bay Road, like they would hang out at all the nightclubs that they know that they go to, the old bars, whatever, hanging out in that quadrant, looking for these students. If they were driving, they'd pull them over. Oh, you're over the limit. But if you give me your phone number in exchange for sexual favors, I'm not going to arrest you. And I'm not going to um, get you in trouble because if you get arrested, you're going to get kicked out of your program at St. Matthew's. And because they knew that there was this pressure on at St. Matthew's academically, right? That if their students get involved in anything extracurricular that's going to bring shame and disgrace to the university, it was an immediate expulsion. They were actually using that to their advantage, to get into sexual relations and BJs and whatever else with these girls from the university just so that they could stay in school. And I don't know how many St. Matthew students have fallen victim to that, but it was happening. And I don't know if it's still continuing, but I'm telling you it was a thing and it was happening. And it's, it's shocking that officers who's supposed to be there to serve and protect would be part of the problem as well. Yeah. Even right during, right before I left, and I'm going to say all the allegedly's in mm-hmm. the world right now, allegedly, um, there was a situation or a case with a former professor at the veterinary school, because, you know, the medical school and the veterinary school is attached. And allegedly, there was inappropriate sexual misconduct with a student and this um, veterinary professor, allegedly. And they missed her and they gave one roundabout read. Oh, he's an, he was an older man. They're like, I guess he retired or whatever. They honorably sent him on the way. And then basically they're like, get out. But he allegedly, 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 allegedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, rem- I will never forget that because that was the exact same time, my situation. So mm-hmm. I noticed a pattern and a theme. I put two and two together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> together in my head and I said this is not just you know mm. yeah allegedly yeah unbelievable (laughs) so Um, eventually the police contact you all this time later and you say yes you want to pursue the case and then it starts to pick up some steam from there you give an official statement Mm -hmm. yes and all the official like um because I did a I gave the witnesses you know back in 2018 18, 2019. So I had to go back, relook at um, the evidence I have, recontact potential witnesses, contact the clinic I had the abortion at, at that point, because they kept, I, I told them, I asked for them, or I consented to, for them to keep the embryo, or not the embryo, the, yeah, the embryo as forensic mm-hmm. evidence. And they keep- I thought that you. that was so smart of you. I must tell you that despite all the trauma that you've been through, you're obviously a very smart young lady because when I heard that in court, I'm like, wow, I wouldn't have even thought of that. But, you know, cause he might've denied the whole thing. Like you don't know what his defense would have been and what his angle might've been. But of course, at this point, there's very little forensic evidence. So he might've denied like, oh, I never had sex with her or whatever. And I think even him, cause it was brought up in court. I think even he was shocked to have heard that you did that, that you requested them to um, basically keep 
the um, fetal matter from the abortion because that could prove DNA. There's DNA evidence right there. Yeah, there's DNA evidence. That was so smart, that. girl. So, yeah. um, so I have to recontact them, open up my medical records again. Re people I even haven't talked to in years, and I even initially had um, posted or potentially had those girls that I went out with. It's like, okay, they're the last people to see me. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, before um, that evening, none of them wanted to participate. Um, you know, everybody to each mm -hmm. their own. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, I had to reopen things, things that I haven't opened in a while, go through cell phone records, contact people, all of that kind of stuff that kind of like basically putting me back at square on everything but the actual like police interview where I'm actually mm -hmm. being videotaped. I had to now go back and revisit that and bring as much um, things to the forefront as I could. So yeah, yeah. that was, <laughs> that was, that was difficult. That was hard. And it was during pandemic. I think the borders were still closed, you know, obviously a lot mm -hmm. of uncertainty around COVID. So I was like, okay, there's going to be delays with it when this reaches trial because of, you know, travel restrictions, COVID, all the mm -hmm. legal systems up. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. so I was like, okay, just, you know, if and when this day comes, it'll come. But, you know, at least it gives you time to become mentally and emotionally um, ready for this next phase. So that was mm -hmm. kind of like at that point. Wow. Um, what? Uh, oh, my gosh. This is just so. The whole thing is just so unbelievable. Um, yeah. I mean, your level of bravery, where, where do you think the bravery comes from? Uh, Darren, I mean, your level of bravery to me has just been amazing. Even your, um, cause you could have testified via video link. And I remember during the trial, the prosecution said that you insisted on being there in person. Why did you want to be there in person? Why was that so important to you? When, when for years I saw him as the biggest boogeyman to every my my own personal devil, if that if that makes sense. Like even when I was in Cayman, and I couldn't easily go to the grocery store, cause I would see somebody that from the back vaguely had the same build and structure as him, and I would have a mm. panic attack, and I would run out of the. So I was confined um, in my body, in my in my place mm -hmm. of residence, and the things I could do or can't do. I was confined and one of the things is like, even if I can make a difference for one other person, one other woman, one other, one, one of, one other girl, let me take, a, let me take an effort to do this. Let me, mm -hmm. let me try. Right. And you know, the, the chances, and I don't know a lot of people know that, like, I think convictions, I think this is even globally, the stats pretty, is pretty consistent across countries. Convictions are very low under 1%. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and sexual assault mm -hmm. so the number backed up against me like I might as well play the lotto <laughs> and you know take my chances there because you know the numbers are you know what it is is very 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 low conviction rates less than one percent compared to you know the amount of sexual yeah. assaults that I have and and this this is why this is another reason why I particularly get upset when uneducated people get in the comment section and they want to talk about, oh, this is a false accusation. Da, da, da. And I'm like, listen, the number of false accusations is anywhere from two to 8%. I want y'all to statistically think about how possible this would be. So it's already minuscule. 
right? For a false conviction to then go through police interviews, years of investigative work, a trial, a decision by a judge, and the person to be found guilty. And for you all to still be in the comment section talking about Renato did not rape this young lady, to me is so shocking. It, it, it's the chances of it are like she said, she'd probably win the lottery first. Because people who make false accusations, and there are women who do, two to 8%, a minority. By the time they start doing police interviews, all this kind of stuff, they don't normally even get to a trial, much less a successful trial. They're going to back away from the story. They're going to say, nope, I'm not going to, you know. And one of the most, I mean, I thought the prosecution actually did a really, really phenomenal job with your case. Because one of the things that she said to the judge that I thought was so compelling is let's assume, because again, oh, you know, she wanted money from me. She wanted a relationship from me. All these absolutely stupid arguments that he put forward. Oh, my father was there that night, but no, my father's not going to testify. I mean, he was such a, a liar. And, you know, I was in court during his testimony, Derry, and I want to tell you something that he would do. Every single time he would lie, he would turn and look at me as though he was looking for some sort of um, sign from me that I was believing this. And I don't know, you know, I think most people know me. You know, I often say, that my mouth hasn't joined church and I'm not really, you know, I'm not one to F with on any day of the week, but in court, you know, you have to, you have to keep your cool and whatever, but mm. I would just give him a look like, why the frig are you looking at me? Like, seriously? And I would make up my face. I'd be like, I mean, it was at, at one point he tripped himself up with a line. He said something. And then the prosecution asked for a break because she was like, uh-uh, I know you answered something else earlier. And she wanted to quickly go through her notes to come back at him with a question to basically prove when to be a lie. I can't remember the exact question right now. And he was like, no, no, no. But I said, because she's like, earlier in your testimony, you said blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, I didn't. I said, and I blurred out, yes, you did. And I, I know I'm not supposed to like say anything in court, but I couldn't help myself because he was so validation. Thank you, Miss Brenda. He was so full of lies. And this mm. is a man who um, I know who he is. I worked with him at DMS back in the day when I had a previous talk show. So I've been around mm. him. I've never socialized with him. He's just not my cup of tea. And I don't mean to try to be rude to him, but he's not. Um, you know, at one point he was married to Cayman and he's always using these women to get these anchor babies to be able to stay here. Mm. But I would consider that I had a cordial relationship with him in the sense of if I saw him, hey, Renato, what's up, blah, blah, blah. You know, I had him on my WhatsApp. He was in my WhatsApp news group. He was always giving me sus about, oh, this happened in the community. Da, da. And the second I found out that he was in court for rape and I did the very first story, I remember him blocking me from WhatsApp. And I said, well, mm -hmm. he did me a favor mm -hmm. because he mm -hmm. knows I'm going to be on his ass now like white on rice. And I was going to follow this case you know, and it was, I remember when he had gotten fired from DMS the last time, and this was, um, this would have been not last year, but the year before I ran into him at CNB and he's like, oh, you know, um, Don Seymour is going to be starting up this new station, Bobo, that we're on this morning. And, you know, I'm trying to get on the station, yada, yada, yada. And I said, okay, that's cool. I mean, he didn't know that I was going to be having a talk show. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I said, but what happened to you over at DMS? He always had some story. And one thing about anybody who knows Renato 
he would lie Jesus off the cross. He is such a pathological liar. And people mm-hmm. like Don Seymour, the DMS organization, have given him so many opportunities over the years because he always had some excuse. He's been in jail before for doing some horrific things to his own child in the name of disciplining, right? Cruelty to a child and all this kind of stuff. And I tell you what, he, he's got some serious, he's got some serious issues. So I saw yeah. Pearl in the comment section, keep going on and on about DJs and DJs and, oh, he's a professional DJ. So this is making him look bad. Let me tell you all something. I don't, I don't like the term professional DJ because what makes him a professional DJ? He didn't go to no school, no training, whatever. He just got behind a turntable and started playing some tunes. And all of a sudden, he's DJ Renato. Y'all elevate these people in, in your minds and this, and this community for no good reason. They've not earned that. No, no respect from a professional capacity or a personal capacity. But this is yeah. what we do in our heads. We elevate these people. And I have a bone to pick with DJs because I can tell you one thing. He is not... The only DJ who was out there plying women with alcohol and taking advantage of them. In fact, I believe that some of these DJs become a DJ just to be able to go around raping people because all of a sudden they have access to all oh, tourists, visitors, you know, women who are intoxicated. And that is the entire MO. And I have seen it too many times to count. And, and I mean, you guys, might not remember this, but there was another case, go look it up on, on CMR page, where another DJ was accused of raping a 16, 70-year-old young lady that he had mm-hmm. promised her mom that, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like her big brother and I'll take mm-hmm. care of her, blah, blah, blah. And how he took care of her was she alleges that he sexually assaulted her. He has never been charged. So, mm-hmm. you know, when people bring this argument to me, oh, false accusations, blah, 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 I'm like, y'all need to shut up. Because you don't know statistically how difficult it is for a false accusation to go through years of scrutiny, the court process and all this stuff, and come out on the other side with a successful prosecution. It just does not happen. I see a call. I don't know if this is someone calling to get on air, but good morning, caller. Are you calling to be on the program? Okay, so we're, we're running into a little bit over time today. Um, but yes, we, um, we are still on air um so you know this is this is some of the the foolishness um that that we have to endure in terms of trying to change the narrative so you know you go through this horrific ordeal folks if you want to call in the correct number to call is um nine two what's the number i can't even think right now nine two six three six three six good morning caller you calling to be on air I'm still I'm still on air, my dear, but I'm gonna deal with you guys in just a second. All right. Uh, so there's a strike going on in town, honey chill. They're telling me come now, but we're gonna try to go live with them in a second. But listen, mm. I want to thank you so much. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about what it is that you're doing now. I want you to come back on the program and talk about your advocacy because we've not even gotten to that, but this whole ordeal has turned you into a fighter for women and women's rights. And so you're doing a lot of advocacy work and I wanna talk about that. I wanna talk about, you know, um, how you're helping other victims and survivors. Um, but give us a little snippet of, you know, your decision to get involved in that. Um, so going back to the point, um, the R. Kelly documentary opened my eyes to a lot of things. Even one thing I will touch on even post conviction. 
um, I still have some good friends that live in the Cayman Islands and they would see him out socially. And this is again, now post conviction. So now we have a convicted rapist mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. like, oh, he's at a section, people are buying him drinks. Um, even someone I considered mm-hmm. a friend and someone that's actually very prominent and um, mm-hmm. in terms of youth mm-hmm. in the Cayman Islands that I respected a lot. Um, wow. There was conversation like, oh, um, Renato being a DJ for his 30th birthday party, you know, so the, like these, like, again, I'm thousands of miles away in Canada, but by good or bad because of social media, um, mm-hmm. not even comments, I, I see in here more than people think than I see in here. And I can even see on my, because um, people know me or know me in passing or in acquaintance level or through him, because I'm pretty sure he's told his people, his social circle, mm-hmm. clearly his, so people can identify my name, even down to my social media. I see them coming on my um, personal Instagram. If I see it, I block it type of thing. Anybody that looks suspicious <laughs> from the Cayman Islands or in the nightlife space or entertainment mm-hmm. space in mm-hmm. the Cayman Islands, I usually just block. So I know a lot of people are you know, aware of who I am. Sorry, let me take this chewed toy away from this dog. Yeah. <laughs> not, not to do it. That's okay. <laughs> um, so um, I forgot the question, but um, yeah, you so were just talking about how how the culture is so accepting of him even after his conviction. Yes, and that was what actually coupled with the R. Kelly, which was years prior, um, what forced me to start my advocacy in my own city, um, around the Black community in my city, because I was like, wow, we actively go out our way to protect, uphold, amplify predators. It's not mm-hmm. even a point of speculation, like to the point mm-hmm. that we have tapes, tapes, mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. man was taping it and you people see, cause you, you can't tell me you didn't know and you're mm-hmm. actively surrounding yourself. There's there's no sense of accountability or what it is to be com- in community with other people, especially as Black people, whether you are in the Caribbean or in Africa or in the Americas, you experience so much mm-hmm. external racism and subjugation from the systems that be. Mm-hmm. So why mm-hmm. as a community are we actively destroying ourselves, especially the most vulnerable of ourselves, which are children mm-hmm. and women. And that yeah. is really what ignited me because I was like, wow, mm-hmm. whether you're a pastor, a politician, DJ, mm-hmm. a uncle, whatever, it goes across socioeconomic lines. It goes across statuses. The common mm-hmm. theme is that black men, grown men, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. fathers themselves. Yeah. And, and let me let me just say this. Renato is a father of a young girl. Yeah. And I wonder if he ever could imagine a man doing this to his own daughter. Hmm. This this man is appealing this case now. Imagine after all this, he has the audacity to appeal this case. And one of the grounds on which he's trying to appeal it is he's claiming that he needs to be there for his daughter of all of the, the nerve of it all. I'm just like, really? She's probably better off having you in jail because you're not an example of a certainly I, as a mother, would not want someone like you, even if you were the father of my child, to be around that child, especially not a female child, but no child, because you already, you know, end up in jail for abusing your son. 
Yeah. But now he has the but, audacity to pretend to the courts like he is some father of the year of the century and wants to be out of jail so that he can he can protect his daughter. I mean, the shit that that I hear that goes on in this country sometimes just blows like it blows my mind. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. And I, and I think a lot of people don't realize cuz especially for black men, they face a lot. I'm not ever excusing what they have they face now what they have faced um in the past as well like mm -hmm. you know throughout history mm -hmm. and i think also as a people and that, that's even more reason not to do this to anybody but especially your what it should be your black queens like women you should be trying to elevate i mean you don't do this to yeah. any woman i want to be very very clear you know because he claims that he does this kind of thing to spanish women all the time and they're okay with it so I don't know how many of you Spanish women out there have been raped by Renato Harris, but I apologize. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that as well, but there's no respect for anybody. And that's why I got pissed off, Derry, when his mother is in the comment section calling me a liar and his sister is trying to attack me and my family. Listen, you know, I just had to keep my cool. I had to just remind myself that I'm the professional here because people like that will certainly bring out the worst in you and you can't allow them to drag you down to their disgusting level. But women are supporting him, um, men in the community, like you said, business people that should be respectful, well-connected people. You know, they're out there putting money in this guy's pocket and still supporting him and still allowing him to be around women, buying women drinks. And, you know, God knows how many women he's raped since you, girl, because I'm, I'm pretty sure he didn't stop. Yeah. You know, it's just really disgusting. But I thank you so much for your bravery. And like I said, I do want to have future conversations about the advocacy work because my biggest objective and really the reason why I have you here, I see Ms. Dean saying that this might have been hopefully an opportunity for you to exhale and to, you know, some sort of maybe um, therapy in a way. I don't really know. I mean, I know you've obviously been going through professional therapy, but the reason why we have to have these conversations and why I appreciate your bravery is that um, we need to change the narrative in, in our community. So I want to read you, uh, Derry, some of the amazing comments that have been coming in because I think I can't allow you to leave here today because I know you've seen some of the negative from the, the stupidity. They, those people are in the minority. Here's what some people had to say today. Um, this person said, good morning. As a Caymanian woman who's also been raped, I want to applaud you for coming forward and in your journey to help other victims. Karma is a dish best served cold. You are empowered and your rapist is in jail where he belongs. Respect and love on International Women's Day. I had messages were coming from all over. So let me just go and read some of these. I have um, another person says, morning, Sandra. Um, oh, that's an old message, right? Morning, um, your guest this morning is a gift to the world. Uh, thanks. Uh, this is somebody in the 876 area code saying, um, OMG, God, Sandy, with teary eyes, I hope every rapist and naysayers are listening so that they can know how badly it is to be raped. Um, let me just see here. And of course, on the social feed here, tons of amazing comments um, that have come in. Janetta says, hats off to you for being so brave and for sharing your story. Um, Everton, as a man, says, how can you force somebody to have sex with you? No pleasure in that, no pleasure whatsoever. And Miss um, 
you are lucky that you got out of that situation alive because I think the only reason why you got out of that situation is because you had to stay calm and you never know what he would have been capable of doing. A lot of time, um, those, situa those situations do not end well. So I'm grateful that you're still here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's me, uh, Lavani says, Darren, always remember that you're braver than you believe, stronger than you seem and smarter than you think and loved more than you know. Oh, that's so special. Um, Shirley says, sounds like prison is really an upgrade for him instead of punishment. I think she's making that in terms of how he keeps his place. Prison's probably a lot cleaner. Uh, Yasmin says, sorry for what happened to you. My heart is broken. This is not the first time that he did this and got away mm -hmm. with it. This time uh, you will f never forget that day, but hold your head up high and go forward. Thank you. Um, TT says, uh, no one awake and in their right mind wanted him apparently. OMG, you're very strong. Just keep advocating. You've helped so many by doing this today. Thank you. Everton also shares, um, for me as a guy, this is so hurtful to see someone go through such a situation uh, like this, no fault of their own. If she don't get more counseling, <clears throat> uh, this will be, um, if she don't get more counseling, this will be with her for the rest of her life. I Means going to be with you no matter what. And she will have no trust in men because of what this guy did to her. This guy should pay dearly by spending the rest of his life in prison. So men, do you see what happened um, to some lady when they reject us and we claim that? Yes. Why you don't want to be with me? You never know. Okay. Then it gets cut off in there. Um, Debbie says, Darren, you are a warrior and no one can break your soul. Thank you. I mean, just some amazing comments um, this morning. RD Limited says, you're a very brave woman. For speaking about this publicly, what you're doing should be empower what you're doing should be empowering to other women in Cayman who have had the same unfortunate experience. Uh, Tracy, um, I'm not sure what that comment was about. Tracy, um, I think those are some older comments. Yes, yeah, so there were that was just a, a few of the comments, but I can assure you. Uh, that there were tons more. Dorothy says she's keeping you in her prayers. Lavani says, thank you for turning your wombs into wisdom, Darren. You are loved. Uh, Moya says it's time for the Cayman Islands to also set the legal framework for heavier sentences for child molesters and child groomers. And they also need to install the sex offender registry for persons committing sex offenses. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yasmin says, because it's never reached to their door, they will say anything, but wait until it's happened to their sister and daughter who is dear to them. And you know what, Yasmin, it's unfortunate, but even when that happens, you can't count on these people having the common sense to be supportive of victims. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people who are connected to victims, their family, mm -hmm. their friends are still mm -hmm. not there supporting them. I mean, look at poor Darren, her so-called university friends didn't call to check on her, have never stepped mm -hmm. forward to say, I'm sorry for what happened to you that night have never said, you know, we'll come and testify. At least we can say in court that we were up, we were with you up to this point. Like none of that. Have any of them ever reached out to you at all? No. And I've had people post-conviction, um, people that I were, was peers with um, that I even 
I was like just acquaintances, barely classmates with, and they've sent me such kind words. And I know these um, women, um, and all of them are actually older than me, <laughs> um, have um, not reached out to me. And I know they're very much aware of the conviction and everything um, that's happened after. But wow. one thing I'm practicing is grace um, in this very dark and scary world and mm -hmm. realizing that them apologizing, even Renato apologizing, is not a determinant on who I can be and who I will mm -hmm. be and what my next is. Um, it's it's unfortunate. It's, it's quite unfortunate. It's very disappointing. Um, it's something mm -hmm. that I will never fully reconcile with. But again, it's not going to limit me in mm -hmm. who I am. So yes, strong will um, says good morning, Sandy. This is so disturbing. I'd never speak to those friends again. To be clear, they're not friends. They were fair yeah, weather no. friends, as we call them, but they're not friends. Again, it sounds like a setup. These girls are not true friends. It's me says, thank you for converting. Oh, I read that one already, but I love that quote, by the way, I must tell you. Um, Alejandra says, hope that she's healing with the journey and she's having uh, with her confession and making a big awareness in the communities around the world. Um, Jeanetta is saying that, you know, your future relationships might be challenging, but she hopes that you find someone who's understanding uh, Aline says, hats off to you. You're a strong lady. Um, Yasmin, again, thanking you for coming forward. Dinar says, thank you for sharing your story, Darren. You're inspiring to so many. Uh, Elaine is advocating for castration for these men. <laughs> I wish that would help. But uh, Marshall says, speak your truth. You're a very brave young woman. Keep advocating for those who don't have a voice. Happy International Women's Day and month. Um, thank you, Darren. I mean, this has been um, an amazing conversation. Yeah. And um, I thank you for working through all the pain today and still sharing your story with us. Thank you. And yes, I really. want to thank you again for this platform. And again, being an advocate for your community, for the people, for the children of Cayman, um, it's not easy work. I mean, you put yourself, even your family on the line day in and day out, but these are the stories, these are the voices, these are the topics we really need to talk about. And on the helms of International Women's Day and International Women's Month, I really just want to press the people who are watching to really be each other's keepers. Um, there are a lot of problems in this world, like, you know, earlier talking about Russia and Ukraine, even what sexual violence is globally, it's like, it seems bigger than any one person, but the compassion and the love and listening and the non-judgmentalness and even checking what we believe is true and the biases and the crap we've been brought up to learn and been told mm -hmm. our own life, being able to challenge that and being able to check on each other, especially as black people, really be able to be our community and be each other's keepers. Um, that's really all I hope and aspire to. And mm -hmm. yeah, that is my wish and want for the world. Um, but so I really just challenge everybody just to take a step back, even beyond my case, my scenario. I know we all know somebody directly mm -hmm. or we have experienced sexual violence mm -hmm. ourselves. We all have relations to this topic on various levels. So I think it's time for us to all step back and just continually reflect and challenge ourselves mm -hmm. and challenge other people in our community when we see certain behaviors or protecting or, you know, trying to evade accountability come up. It really takes it takes a village <laughs> to really mm -hmm. change for everybody. So yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
Oh my gosh. Thank you. Um, again, folks, uh, Darren, this young lady, um, amazingly brave has come on here and shared this horrific ordeal, uh, has taken years off of her life, I'm sure, but hopefully, um, the positivity that you've received today will give, give back what we can. I mean, if we could through the airwaves, just show you how much, you know, we love you and how much we appreciate just your strength and um, what it really took to come and, and share this story um, today with us. It's just, it's just amazing. Um, and I think that, I think there are minds out there today who hopefully will reflect on their own attitudes towards, um, you know, sexual assault victims, uh, victims of rape, and really think about how they are contributing to the problem and how they are enablers, whether directly or indirectly, um, and this is not something, um, you know, that is helpful to, to victims in any way, shape or form. So, yeah, thank you very much. And, and what's your dog's name, by the way? Oh, Mr. Briggs. You want to say hi? Mr. Briggs. Aw. <laughs> oh, he is so cute. He looks so much like my Coco. Oh, my goodness. Hello, Mr. Briggs. Hi. Oh, he's so adorable. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Mr. Briggs. He was just a little champ in there in the background. <laughs> All right. Thank All right, you. Darren, uh, Darren, thank you very much. Enjoy Bye -bye. the rest of your day, my dear. All righty. Mr. Briggs is like, why y'all have me up on a, why y'all have me up here on the screen? All right, folks. Um, we're into a little bit of overtime this morning. Couple things breaking. There's an accident. Uh, down by Kipling Drive, the police are on the scene. It doesn't look that bad. It looks like the accident in front of Queens Court is a was a fatality. Um, really, really sad to hear that. Of course, uh, I don't know what it's going to take for y'all to slow down. Don't drink and drive. You know, just take your time on the road waves. But we, road, 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 roadways. Sorry, we only have but one main road, folks. How hard can it be? But here we go. Um, and whoever was involved in that hit and run, they're going to find you, honey child. So you might as well go straight to the police station. There's CCTV cameras. They will locate you. It's only a matter of when. Save yourself the trouble. You know, sometimes uh, when you do wrong, you've just got to say, hey, listen, I made a bad choice. I was drinking and driving, whatever. Come to the forefront and just take accountability. That's one of the things with this particular rape case and this victim. He was never prepared to take accountability. And he's still sitting in prison now. Like I said, I don't know who his prison mate is, but he's still sitting up in prison claiming that um, he is, he's the victim, which is just absolutely ridiculous. It could have gone, uh, there would be so much healing if he just admitted what he did and apologized to this young lady. But you can't expect that from a lot of people, unfortunately. And so, you know, it is what it is. Um, there's some sort of a situation at the bus depot where there has been um, some sort of a um, strike or something going on. So I wanna try to see now if we can get in contact with them. So let me just look at my messages real quick. Give me one quick second here to see if we can reach out to them and, um, and, you know, see what's going on. So 
Give me one second. All right, let me just see here. I had people messaging me about it. Do, 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 do. Let me see. Oh, gosh, I get so many messages. Uh, uh, hold on. Sometimes it's actually easier for me to check in my phone for these types of messages. Mm -hmm. All right, so I don't know what they're... Um, let me see here now. I don't know exactly what they are. Um, what the protest is about, but I guess if I can get a hold of someone, we can find out. So, do, 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 do. Oh my gosh. Hmm. All right. Who was message me if you were messaging about the bus depot? Um. Okay. So I found one. Hold on. Found one number. It would be good if we could have someone join us from, um, just do the live link. There was a young lady who was messaging me about it, but where is she? Uh, we just posted the story not too long ago um, about a fentanyl bust over 200 pills. We're gonna talk about that on tomorrow's program. That's a whole other hot mess, folks. We've been querying the police. I actually sent them an email last month about this whole fentanyl thing and, and what sort of penetration we're looking at um, in terms of that drug, because that drug will devastate the drug community here. Trust me. They, they'll be killing themselves left, right, and center here in a minute. If you think the few drug overdoses that we've had has been bad, um, I can assure you that it's going to get worse. Um, give me one second here. Let's see. So let me just call this person. Um, they've sent a voice note. I'm not sure. I, I'm always hesitant to play voice notes because I don't always know if they're meant for just my ears. Well, let's call this person, see if we can get an idea of what's going on. Morning, Sandra. Hi, morning. How are you? I'm good. You know, I'm not out there. It's just that I was corresponding for another person because oh. it wasn't around Wi-Fi. Okay. But they're out by the bus terminal and the inspectors and all that is out there waiting oh, also. Okay. So I was trying to get them on air this morning if that was possible, but maybe I just need to go on I can. Then. I can give you a number, but she doesn't have Wi-Fi out there. Oh, okay. Send me send me the number then and WhatsApp and I'll call or yeah, send me her number and WhatsApp and I'll call her directly to see. Okay, thank um, okay, you. All right, no problem. So we'll try to get um I'm gonna have to probably get out there to try to um Yeah, they people. need you also. Uh oh, sorry. Uh oh, I hung up. Sorry. Let me get this back. Um so yeah, so apparently there is something going on out there. All right, I tell you what. Um, let me, okay, let me play the news and I'll get to court. Um, well, I need to go to court anyway, but I'll get, I'll get out there as quickly as I can. And then, um, obviously we need to, um, get some people 
uh, interviewed and see exactly what's going on. Um, okay, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. So there is a situation that happened with a man trying to pick up a child of it was a, of a sexual nature, a very, very disturbing incident last night. I'll discuss that um, tomorrow. Wow. Lots of craziness happening in the world. So listen, uh, break an update. You're going to hear it here first. This woman, um, Judith Douglas, has been charged with theft. And as of this morning, she's actually in court making her first court appearance. So where do we, let me see, do I have a, let me see if I have a, do I have an applause button? Where's my applause button? Uh, yes. Right? Yes. These are um, some of the changes, folks, that we're trying to make in our community. And thank God uh, when we get even one prolific thief off of our streets, there's something um, to be said for that. And trust me, they, they've got more than enough evidence to get a successful conviction. I have made an Excel document myself, which I will send to the RCIPS to be able to give them to say, here, victims, receipts, lists. I don't know how she can get out of this one, honey child. Whoever defends her in court, they should just be like, listen, just plead guilty and go back to jail and sit down where you belong. So yes, there's some kind of protest in town. I'm going to see if I can, let me just see who's messaging me. I'm going to see if I can get out there. See exactly, <laughs> sorry, what's going on. Uh, let me make one quick call. I've got a number here. Um, now listen, some of these people have been trying to get a hold of the minister. I know he's off island at the moment. He's not going to be happy to hear this. But, you know, they say that they've been trying to reach out to him for quite some time and that they're not getting anywhere. And, you know, uh, some of these ministers too busy doing everything but tendering to business here in Cayman for you all that voted for them. Um, mm -hmm. um, Good morning. Hello. Hi, morning. Um, Sandra here. How are you, honey? Giving thanks and you. My dear, I'm trying not to complain, but I hear you guys are having a little situation there today. Tell me what's going on. Yeah, well, right now, because the buses we put on strike, the number twos and the number threes, because of, because of, come here, Kevin. Kevin, coming up, because of, um, they stop us from Friday. All of these years, we've been going through Eastern Avenue, mm -hmm. and uh, and all of a sudden to drop off. And now Friday come now, they start to write up everybody and tell us we must not um, go through Eastern Avenue again. Um, Why? And it's ninety eight percent because only number one must go through Eastern Avenue. Hold on, hold on, son. Hold on. Okay. Hello. Hi. Morning. Hi. Uh, morning. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. To explain it a little clearer, what she was saying, right? Mm -hmm. For 20 plus years, we've been dropping off the passengers coming in through Eastern Avenue onto Shedden Road, right? Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden, since Friday, the inspectors are coming out. Every trip you run, they write you up and they call it to the transport unit and give you a letter stating that they're giving you a citation that you should not operate on that road. Right now, bear in mind these people are folks that we pick up on our roads in West Bay. 
right? So we can't put the people back off the bus and tell them we can't tell them because then there won't be anyone to pick them up because they would be on our route in West Bay, right? So all we're doing is dropping off the folks coming in town. So what they're saying now is we should not pick up anyone. We should not drop anyone around here. So we are supposed to tell the people that we can take them or we are supposed to let them off by Baytown down by KFC or drive straight on the waterfront and bring them to the bus people. So then me, that's where now the let people... Me, um, let me understand this, right? If, yeah. on, if on your route, so say you pick someone up from West Bay and they yes, want to be dropped instance, off on Eastern Avenue. On Eastern Avenue. They are telling us we have to leave them. We tell them we can't take them. But yet, that's our route, so another bus is not allowed, supposed to be picking them up on that route. Right. So it, it just doesn't make any sense. You got that right. Right. It um, doesn't make any sense. Wow. And and so... And, and this is not something that we were notified about that was coming or anything, you know. We've mm -hmm. been always, I've been a driver for, I've been driving Westway for 16 years. Right, and this was something that has been going on before I even started. Right, so it, it just doesn't work out. Right, so if they're telling us that whenever we get three right up, we are going to be suspended for it, then we can't risk that because it doesn't add up. Mm. Right, wow. Um, yep. I'm going to try to call Mr. Kim. I understand he's some director. Is he director of the bus depot or where? Yes, yes. And he's actually in the bus depot now. So. Okay. So there, there, how many buses are on strike this morning? It's a few. It's about 10 or more right now. Oh, wow. Some haven't come out and most of them are here now. We are all parked up. All right. Well, listen. Me come in. We need to put on some pants and I'm coming, yeah. down. I'm coming down there. Y'all stay there till I get there this morning. All right, because they are trying to organize a meeting by the public transport board. But we'd rather use us here before we leave. Don't go nowhere, because they are trying to hoodwink right, y'all cool. into some foolishness. Give, give me right, about no 15, 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah. All right, good. Yeah. I need to do the speed limits. I'll come in. Uh, we're not calling Mr. Kim, because he's going to have some excuse why he can't talk to us. Blah, 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 blah. We're going to go down there in person, folks, and see what the hell is going on. Um, giving such a big change, no notice. None of this makes any good public administrative common sense. Uh, I need to really get a feel for what's going on here. Yeah. So we're going to, I'm going to go and get in the thick of it. They'd called me right before the show this morning, but unfortunately they were like, come. And I'm like, Ugh, not only do I have the show this morning, but I've got guests that are planning coming and I couldn't, you know, not have that show today. So um, I thank them for their phone call and their patience. I'm coming now, honey child. I just got to put on pants. Because I always wear, I tend to wear shorts in the studio. Y'all are like, she's not wearing any pants. I'm wearing shorts. Don't get freaky. Um, so I just need to put on proper pants and then get out of here. So I am going right, right now. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in this morning. I'm going to play the news. So stay tuned for the news. Kevin Wattler also does a great job, um, always does a great job with that. And again, tomorrow we'll talk about the fentanyl bus and a couple other things. We can talk about the latest um, with that young lady as well. Um, now that she's in court today, praise the Lord, RCIPS. Thank you. I had to call y'all out. I know a little bit, but thank you for resting and charging her. And please, judges, y'all need to throw away the freaking key for this woman now. She can't help herself. She's a thief. And I don't know if she's stealing anything in prison, but at least she can kind of control what she steals up in there, I hope. All right, folks. Thank you.
Hello, I'm Kevin Watler, and this is your CMR Daily Buzz. Here's a summary of some of Cayman's latest headlines. Former House Speaker and West Bay West MP Makiva Bush has been charged with two offenses relating to an incident that took place at the Caribbean Tourism Organization reception dinner held at Ritz-Carlton in September. Bush appeared in some court yesterday morning from the police custody lockup via video link. Attorney Dennis Brady was with him. The jury in a trial of 29-year-old Javon Dixon, who's accused of killing his friend 32-year-old Joven Amore Fuentes last year, informed Judge Cheryl Richards that they were unable to agree on a verdict after three days of deliberations. His attorney noted that she will be requesting a bail hearing, given the fact that Dixon would otherwise be in prison custody until his retrial date in late August 2023. Two men pleaded guilty to a major fraud at the Cayman Turtle Center dating back to 2015 when almost $500,000 was stolen from the farm through false invoices. 41-year-old Mark Manderson and his close friend 39-year-old Jeremy Williams admitted to a conspiracy in which Manderson reportedly used Williams' security company to steal the money from the Turtle Center using fake invoices. A ruling by the Grand Court that residential proprietors in the Britannia development had rights to enjoy facilities, including a beach and golf club, on lands now owned by DART has been overturned by the Cayman Islands Court of Appeal. The landmark judgment was delivered yesterday. Now for your CMR weather update. It's brought to you by WG Charters. Sunrise at 639. Lots of clouds today. When the temperature is at 83 degrees Fahrenheit and the humidity at 64% like the forecast calls for, it will feel like it's in the high 80s. Winds east-northeast at 10 to 20 miles per hour and the sun sets at 633. At nighttime, the temperature falls to the mid-70s. Looking forward, a reduction in the clouds but overall, similar weather conditions are expected. If you would like to know more on any of these stories, visit caymanmallroad.com or follow Cayman Mall Road on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. That's it for now on The Daily Buzz. Thank you for joining me. Please stay safe and God bless. For tuning in to another episode of the Cold Hard Truth on Bobo 89.1 FM. Cayman's number one talk show is live weekdays from 7:30 a.m. Never miss an episode again. Watch anytime on CMR's Facebook and YouTube channels for the latest show episodes. Don't forget to follow us online on our social media channels and visit CaymanMarlRoad.com for all the latest news and community happenings. 